This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal'aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Wal'a'udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ولي الصالحين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So today is the 24th day of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah of our Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and so therefore this is the 24th sitting and session of the reading and commentary of Tafsir al-Jalaleen by its two authors Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin al-Suyuti alihima rahmatullahi ta'ala and before we begin with uh, today's reading yesterday I asked a question and that was concerning towards the very end of the previous surah surah Fussilat in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِظَلَّامٍ لِلْعَبِيدٍ and your Lord is not ever oppressive to his servants. And the word dhallam, as we said yesterday, is the intensive form. And usually when you use an intensive form, it negates someone going to extremes in that action, but it doesn't negate the base of that action. So for example, if you say that someone constantly or doesn't constantly hit somebody else, doesn't mean that they don't hit them on the odd occasion. So when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this particular attribute of oppression, we know that Allah Azza wa is free of all forms of oppression. Because the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Allah said in the hadith al-Qudsi, إِنِّي حَرَمْتُ ظُلْمَ عَلَى نَفْسِي I have made ظُلْمَ oppression haram upon myself, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how do we understand this? The first is that very response. That the word ظُلَّام is taken in context with all the other verses and ahadith that speak about oppression. So that Allah Azza wa in this verse when he says that he's not ever oppressive at the same time he negates him being oppressive at all because we take the different texts of the Quran and the Sunnah and we bring them all together and have a comprehensive overview. And that is as we've mentioned a number of times the correct methodology of doing tafsir and understanding the Quran. And so to take this verse in isolation is therefore incorrect. So you take that verse and the other verses. So therefore then the question remains why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then use the word ظلام in this particular verse? And the scholars have a number of responses. The one that I will uh, share with you is what was mentioned by Azza Maqshari and Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti alayhi rahmatullah that is that, they are, that Allah azza wa jal it is dependent on the context. The context of the verse speaks about the disobedience of Allah's slaves and there are many of them. Allah azza wa says مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَلِنَفْسِهِ وَمَنْ أَسَاءَ فَعَلَيْهَا Whosoever does good, it is for themselves, and whoever does evil, then it is upon them. And those who do evil from the servants and creation of Allah are many in number. So Allah said that He is not ever oppressive to them, meaning that even though there are billions of them in number who are oppressive, Allah does not oppress any one of them. So the intensive form is therefore in the context of the vast multitude of people who commit oppression. And so Allah Azza wa Jal is it is as if He is saying that He doesn't oppress each and every single one of them. And that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's justice and other responses were given as well. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. 
So inshallah ta'ala today we are towards the beginning of the 25th juz of the Quran We did a page yesterday in the conclusion of Surah Fussilat So today we begin with the recitation of Surah Al-Shura Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Allahumma khfili shaykhina wa liwalidina wa li jami'in muslimin أما بعد قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى في تفسير في تفسير سورة الشورى كم سورة؟ This surah is Mecca except for ayats 23, 24, 25 and 26 which are Medina. It has 53 ayat and we sent down after Fussilat. So this is the 42nd surah of the Quran, سورة الشورى and the word شورى as the translator has mentioned means to seek counsel, to seek advice, to have uh, mutual consultation and this surah is a Makki surah according to the majority of the scholars of tafsir except with some of the scholars mentioning these exceptions that the author mentioned and from those scholars who mentioned that exception from the salaf is Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala another name that this surah has is the uh, first two verses it is also known in some of the books of hadith and tafsir as surah Hameen Ayn Seen Qaf that is another name that you will find in Bukhari and in some of the collections of Hadith. And I think Imam Al-Tabari also refers to it as with this name. So it has the name Shura, which is mentioned also in many early works of Quran and Hadith and so on. And then the other name that it is known by is the two opening surahs. Ha-Meem, Ayn, Seen, Qaf. And what you will find with all of these surahs that begin with Ha-Meem is that there will always be an alternative name. So for example, yesterday we said Surah Fussilat, its other name is Sajda or Hameen As-Sajda. Why is it called Hameen As-Sajda? Because it's the only Hameen that has a Sajda in it. And so it's Hameen As-Sajda. And so that is a common uh, theme that you will find running in these Surahs. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaytanir Rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Hameen Ayn Allah knows best what this means Kadhalika yuhi ilayka wa ila alladhina min qablika Allahu al-azizul hakeem that revelation is how he sends revelation to you and those before you. Allah is almighty in his kingdom, the all-wise in what he does. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, <laughs> That is the revelation and it is how he sends it to you and those who came before you. And in the hadith, in the sunnah, we have different forms of how revelation came to the Prophet From them is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha in al-Bukhari and Muslim. That she said that the Prophet said that from the way that revelation comes to me, meaning the methods and manners in which it comes to him, is one like the ringing of a bell. And he said, That is the most difficult for me to bear. And another one is that the angel comes to him in terms of the physical form of the angel, either in human form, Jibreel or in his original form. Another way is that the Prophet feels the inspiration within him, subhanahu uh, wa ta'ala, he feels the revelation within him. As we will mention uh, in one of the hadith that will come later on concerning one of the verses of these surahs. 
So it comes in different ways. And Aisha radiallahu anha says that when the Prophet وسلم, would receive revelation, it would be heavy upon him. And this will come later on in Tafsir Surah Al-Muzammil. إِنَّا سَنُلْقِي عَلَيْكَ قَوْلًا ثَقِيلًا It would be heavy upon him. And we would see him sweating on a day that was cold. So he had a pressure upon him. And in some of those narrations, it is said that the Prophet وسلم, he was on his camel, and revelation came upon him, the camel will not be able to bear the weight of revelation and he would have to sit down. And in another narration where the companion said that I was sitting with the Prophet and part of his leg was on my leg because we were sitting so close together and revelation descended upon him and I felt such a weight that I thought that he would break my leg because of the heaviness of that revelation that he would receive sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي Everything in the heavens and everything in the earth belongs to him as his property, creation and slaves. He is the most high, magnificent. The heavens are all but read as takadu and yakadu rent asunder. Read as yatafaqarna and yanfaqirna from above. Each almost bit above the one next to it because of the immense power of Allah. وَلِمَلَائِكَةُ يُسَبِّحُونَ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّهِمْ وَيَسْتَغْفِرُونَ لِمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ When the angels glorify their Lord with praise and ask forgiveness for those believers who are on the earth. أَلَا إِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Allah is the ever-forgiving to His friends, the most merciful to them. In verse number 5, Allah Azzawajal says, تَكَادُ السَّمَاوَاتُ يَتَفَطَّرْنَ مِنْ فَوْقِهِنْ The heavens are all but rent, rent asunder, meaning that they split open from above and there are two positions amongst the scholars of tafsir as to meaning the meaning of from above the first of them is the one that al-mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala mentions that each one splits above the one next to it meaning the one above referring to the seven heavens each one of them was split so not just the first heaven but each one of the seven heavens was split that's what he means by each almost split above the one next to it meaning next to it in terms of the seven heavens that's one position and it is the position of many of the scholars of tafsir, including Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah. The second position is the one that was chosen by Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin, al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah. And that is that the word above meaning above the earth. So it's the heaven above the earth. So it's not the seven heavens, but the one heaven, meaning above the earth, rather than each one above the other in terms of the seven heavens. And then the scholars amongst them have a discussion as to what causes these heavens or the heaven to be rent asunder. So one of them, or some of them said, what Al-Mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala mentions here, his position, and that is, that it is due to the fear of Allah Azza wa Jal, the immense power of Allah. Out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are rent asunder. And the second position amongst the scholars of tafsir is because of the assertion of shirk, the assertion that Allah has children. And that is the verse that is mentioned towards the end of Surah Maryam. That Allah says that the earth and the heavens will split asunder because of this statement of theirs that Allah has taken a child. That is the other position. And both of them are similar in the sense that whether it is out of fear of Allah or out of the gravity of that statement, both of them come back to the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for those who take others, meaning idols besides him as protectors, Allah will take care of them and will repay them. 
وما أنت عليهم بوكيل. You are not set over them as a guardian. You are only asked to convey the message. In verse number six, Allah says at the end, وما أنت عليهم بوكيل. You, meaning the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, are not set over them as a guardian. One position amongst the scholars of tafsir is that you are not their guardian in terms of you will not be the one holding them to account and you will not be the one determining whether they receive punishment or not. And the second one or the second position amongst the scholars of tafsir and the one that was supported by Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala is that you are not their guardian meaning that you are not responsible for their guidance. You are not their guardian meaning that you are not responsible for their guidance. وَكَذَلِكَ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا لِتُنْذِرَ أُمَّ الْقُرَى وَمَنْ حَوْلَهَا Accordingly, we have revealed to you an Arabic Qur'an so that you may warn the mother of cities, meaning the people of Mecca and those around it, all other human beings. وَتُنْذِرَ يَوْمَ الْجَمْعِ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ And give warning to humankind of the day of gathering, another name for the day of resurrection. Because it is the day on which all creatures will be gathered together, about which there is no doubt. One group in the garden, the other in the blazing fire. In verse number 7, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a number of names for different places. The first of them is Mecca. From the names of Mecca is Ummul Qura, the mother of all cities. And the word in Arabic, Umm, means to, it is shown to denote importance because of the position of the mother. And so when the mother of cities is Mecca, the mother of the Qur'an is Surah Al-Fatiha, Umm Al-Kitab, and so on and so forth. And so the word mother in this context means that it is the most important of places. Mecca, وَمَنْ حَوْلَهَا And what is beyond Mecca? Meaning every other place except Mecca. وَتُنْذِرَ يَوْمَ الْجَمْعَ And you are given warning on the day of gathering. And that is from the names of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And as we continue to progress now in the Qur'an, especially towards the end of the Qur'an, we will have numerous names that Allah uses for Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And we already had a number of them yesterday, Yawm Al-Talad, and Yawm Al-Talaq, and Al-Sa'ah, and Yawm Al-Qiyamah, and Yawm Al-Deen. A number of them have already come, and more are yet to still come within the book of Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah there will only be two groups. There is no third. There is no middle path. فَرِيقٌ فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَفَرِيقٌ فِي السَّعِيرِ a group in paradise and a group in the fire. And that dismisses the notion, therefore, that there may be a middle group that Allah doesn't punish, or people that are not destroyed, or people that die without having any type of punishment. There will only be one of two abodes. وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَجَعَلَهُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدَةً If Allah had willed, He would have made them a single nation, following the same deen, namely Islam. But he admits whomever he wills into his mercy. And the wrongdoers, meaning unbelievers, have no protector and no helper to defend them from the punishment. Have they then taken others? Meaning idols besides him as protectors. But Allah is a protector. It is Allah who helps the believers. He gives life to the dead. He has power over all things. 
وما اختلفتم فيه من شيء فحكمه إلى الله the judgment concerning anything you differ about with the unbelievers regarding matters of the deen and other things is Allah's concern on the day of rising. He will decide between you. Say to them, That is Allah, my Lord. I have put my trust in Him and to Him I turn. The bringer into being of the heavens and the earth. جَعَلَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا He has given you mates from among yourselves, a reference to the creation of Hawa from the rib of Adam. وَمِنَ الْأَنْعَامِ أَزْوَاجًا And given mates, male and female, to the livestock. يَذْرَأُكُمْ In that way, multiplying you through procreation. لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ Nothing is like him. وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ he is the all-hearing of what is said, the all-seeing of what is done. In verse number 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَاطِرُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And then Allah azza wa jalla says, وَمِنَ الْأَنْعَامِ أَزْوَاجًا And given mates to the livestock. The author, rahimahullah ta'ala, has chosen as his tafsir of this as being male and female. That they are, that Allah azza wa jalla has given mates to the animals. So there are males from amongst them and there are females from amongst them. But the position of others from amongst the scholars of tafsir and the one chosen by Ibn Kathir and Al-Tabari and Al-Shaqiti Ali Muhammadullah is that this verse refers to the eight pairs that Allah Azza wa Jal has mentioned previously and that we've discussed previously as well in Surah Al-An'am. ثَمَانِيَةَ أَزْوَاجَ مِنَ الضَّأْنِ اثْنَيْنِ وَمِنَ الْمَعْزِ اثْنَيْنِ وَمِنَ الْإِبْدِ اثْنَيْنِ وَمِنَ الْبَقَرِ اثْنَيْنِ Those eight that Allah Azza wa Jal refers to from the sheep and from the goats and from the cows and from the camels that is what Allah Azza wa is referring to here as well. And that is from there, making tafsir of the Qur'an with the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says towards the end of this verse, verse number 11 of Surah Al-Shura, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ Nothing is like unto him. And this is the golden principle. When it comes to our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and in particular, the belief of Allah Azza wa as regards his names and attributes subhanahu wa ta'ala, that there is nothing similar to him. Meaning that when we say that Allah Azza wa Jal has a hand, then his hand is not like the hand of his creation. And when we say that he has a foot, his foot is not like the foot of his creation. And when we say that Allah Azza wa Jal ascended above the throne, he's above the throne, or that he descends in a manner which befits his majesty to the lowest heaven on, certain, on a certain part of the night, then that is in a way that befits him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that caveat that we always mention of in a manner which befits his majesty is taken from this verse. There is nothing similar to him. So our ascension, our descension, our feet, our hands, everything else that Allah Azza wa mentions as an attribute for himself or that the Prophet affirmed for him is in a manner which he alone knows subhanahu wa ta'ala its reality of. And so to make a similarity or likeness between Allah and between his creation is from the gravest of sins and it is from the gravest of misguidance. The keys of the heavens and earth, the keys to the treasuries of rain, plants and other things belong to him. He expands the provision of anyone he wills or restricts it as a test and a trial. He has knowledge of all things. 
شرع لكم من الدين ما وصى به نوحا والذي أوحينا إليك وما وصينا به إبراهيم وموسى وعيسى He has laid down the same deen for you as he enjoined on Nuh, the first of the prophets of Sharia, that which we have revealed to you, and which we enjoined of Ibrahim, Musa, and Isa. Establish the deen and do not make divisions in it. This is the law which is commanded and revealed to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What you call the idolaters who refuse to acknowledge Allah's unity to follow is very hard for them. Allah chooses for himself anyone he wills, meaning those who affirm his unity, and guides to himself those who turn to him and agree to obey him. They, meaning the people of the different religions, only split up and disagreed about their religion so that some affirmed Allah's unity and some rejected it after knowledge of the truth came to them, the unbelievers, tyrannizing one another. And were it not for a prior decree from your Lord that the repayment would be delayed for a specified term until the day of rising, the judgment between them would already have been made, and the unbelievers would have been punished in this world. Those who inherited the book after them, meaning after the Jews and Christians, are indeed in grave doubt about it, or about him, meaning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This verse, in verse 14, Allah Azzawajal says at the end, and those who inherited the book after them, the author Ta'ala, chooses the position that it is the, Kuf, the uh, Jews and the Christians. And others from amongst the scholars said that it is the Quraysh. So the Jews and the Christians mean that they had scriptures. The Quraysh in the sense that they are the ones who are now given the new scripture, meaning the Quran that is sent to the Prophet Murib, Are indeed in grave doubt about it? Then you have the two tafsirs also. Either it is the Prophet or it is the Quran. And you can combine between the two because they doubted clearly in both of them. So call people to Allah's unity, Muhammad وسلم, and go straight in his deen as you have been ordered to. Do not follow their whims and desires by abandoning it. وَقُلْ آمَنْتُ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ مِنْ كِتَابٍ But say, I believe in a book sent down by Allah. وَأُمِذْتُ لِأَعْدِلَ بَيْنَكُمْ And I am ordered to be just between you in rendering judgment. اللَّهُ رَبُّنَا وَرَبُّكُمْ Allah is our Lord and your Lord. لَنَا أَعْمَالُنَا وَلَكُمْ أَعْمَالُكُمْ We have our actions and you have your actions. Meaning Allah will repay everyone for what they do. There is no debate between us and you. This was before jihad was ordered. Allah will gather us all together and decide between all of us in the final judgment. He is our final destination. In verse 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, There will be no further debate between us and you. That is with a caveat. That there is no debate once the hujjah which is what Allah Azza mentions, the proof has been established. 
then there is no further debate. Meaning that the believers and the disbelievers don't engage in needless debate. But that doesn't preclude the need for da'wah and for establishing the proof and for making the truth well known. As mentioned by Sheikh Abdurrahman ibn Sa'di and Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahmatullah. It is with that caveat that we don't debate unless and until the proof is established. The author ta'ala, says this was before jihad was ordered. And we find often in this tafsir that the authors ta'ala, when it comes to verses that seem to say that you can turn away from the disbelievers, that you can forgive them, that you can pardon them, that you can, for example, uh, like in this verse, you don't have to debate with them anymore. They always put the caveat before jihad, before jihad, before and as if they're saying, and the meaning therefore is amongst them, that these are verses that are abrogated. And that is not the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. But the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir, even though there are some who said that these verses are abrogated by the verses to fight instead and make jihad, the correct position is that they're not abrogated, but rather there are different circumstances and different situations. So sometimes that situation calls for ignoring people, and sometimes it calls for pardoning them, and sometimes it calls for debating with them. And sometimes it calls for other means of striving. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them all, not because some have become abrogated, but because these are different issues that the Muslims need to have at different times and depending on the circumstances that they are in. <laughs> The argument of those who argue about the deen of Allah with his prophet, once he or he has been acknowledged by faith because his miracles have appeared, this is a reference to the Jews, has no basis whatsoever with their Lord. The argument is false and invalid. There is anger upon them and they will have a harsh punishment. Allah الذي أنزل الكتاب بالحق والميزان It is Allah who has sent down the book, meaning the Qur'an, with truth and with the just balance, meaning justice وما يدريك What will make you realize and inform you لعل الساعة قريب Perhaps the last hour is close يستعجل بها الذين لا يؤمنون بها Those who do not believe in it, try to hasten it They say, when will it come? thinking that it will not come. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مُشْفِقُونَ مِنْهَا وَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّهَا الْحَقَّ But those who believe in it are afraid of it. They know it is the truth. أَلَا إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُمَارُونَ فِي السَّاعَةِ لَفِي ضَلَالٍ بَعِيدٍ Those who doubt the hour and argue about it are greatly misguided. اللَّهُ لَطِيفٌ بِعِبَادِهِ Allah is very gentle with his slaves both the pious and the impious among them, and does not make them perish from hunger because of their disobedience. He provides for anyone he wills, all of them, in whatever way he wishes. He is the most strong, the Almighty. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in verse 19, He says, Allah is latif, very gentle with his slaves. And the meaning of the name of Allah azza wa latif is that it refers to a specific type of love and mercy, a very specific form of mercy. And that is that Allah Azza wa is Ar-Rahim. He is merciful generally, and that mercy is for the believers, which is different to his other name, Ar-Rahman, which is a general mercy for all of his creation. But then from Ar-Rahim, there is a specific type of love and mercy that is extremely subtle, and that is for the believers. And that's why it is often translated as being gentle. 
because there is a gentle form of mercy, meaning that is done in a way that is unexpected. Allah is merciful to you in ways that you don't expect, in manners that you're not aware of, in ways that Allah has planned for you that you never anticipated. So sometimes, for example, the blessings that we have today is from the mercy that Allah bestowed upon our grandparents, our great-grandparents. For generations, Allah has given us certain blessings that today we benefit from. Or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most difficult of situations brings you out of that difficulty and trial and hardship in a manner that you never expected and elevates you to a station that you never expected. And that's why in the story of Yusuf السلام, at the very end when he's thanking Allah Azza wa Jal, he uses this name, Inna Rabbi Latifun Lima Yasha. My Lord is extremely specifically gentle and merciful to whomsoever he wills. And that is why Allah Azza wa says at the end of this verse, And Allah is all strong and almighty, meaning that he's all able to do that, to change the circumstances of everything around you and everyone around you to make them fit into the mercy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to have and wants to bestow upon you. Man kana yuridu if anyone desires to cultivate the next world by performing actions whose fruit is the reward of the next world, we will increase him in his cultivation, his good actions being multiplied up to ten times and more. If anyone desires to cultivate this world, we will give him some of it, without any multiplication taking place. But he will have no share in the next world. In this verse, verse number 20, Allah says, Man kana yuridu Whoever desires to cultivate the next world, we will increase him in his, in his cultivation. Imam Ibn Kathir says it is done in two ways. Meaning that if you want the life of the next world and you are sincere for it, Allah helps you in two ways. Allah helps you by increasing your ability to cultivate, meaning prepare for it. Number one, by giving you the strength to worship him. And that is extremely important because the good deeds that we do are in and of themselves blessings of Allah Azza wa So He gives you the strength and the ability to remember, to know Him, to worship Him. Because for example, everyone knows that you should make dhikr. But how many people remember to make dhikr? Everyone knows that you should pray the witr prayer. But how many people actually have the ability and the strength to pray witr prayer before they go to sleep? Other people, everyone knows they should read Quran every day. But how many people can actually find the time and the motivation and the energy to actually sit down and open the Quran and read from it. So Allah Azza wa gives you the strength to do so, number one. And then number two, once you do it, Allah increases you in reward. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and both of those uh, statements of Ibn Kathir rahimahullah are tafsirs of the salaf. Some of them said one, some of them said the other. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala combined between the two. <laughs> Or do they, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, have partners, meaning shaytans, who have laid down a false deen, involving partners for them, meaning the unbelievers, for which Allah has not given any authority, meaning permission, for attributing partners to him and denying the resurrection. Were not for the prior word of decision that repayment for our actions will come on the day of rising, the judgment between them and the believers about punishment in this world would already have been made. The wrongdoers, meaning unbelievers, will have a painful punishment. 
ترى الظالمين مشفقين مما كسبوا وهو واقع بهم You will see the wrongdoers on the day of rising afraid of what they have earned in this world for which they will be repaid when it is about to land right on top of them وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فِي رَوْضَاتِ الْجَنَّاتِ Whereas those who believe and do right actions will be in the lush meadows of the gardens which only they will enjoy لَهُمْ مَا يَشَاءُونَ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ They will have whatever they wish for with their Lord ذَلِكَ هُوَ الْفَضْلُ الْكَبِيرِ That is a great favour ذَلِكَ الَّذِي يُبَشِّرُ اللَّهُ عِبَادَهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ That is a good news read as يُبَشِّرُ and يَبْشِرُ which Allah gives to his slaves who believe and do right actions قُلْ لَا أَسْأَلُكُمْ عَلَيْهِ أَجْرًا إِلَّا الْمَوَدَّةَ فِي الْقُرْبَى Say, I do not ask you for any wage for this, for conveying the message, except for you to love your near of kin. I only ask you to love my kin, who are also your kin. There was no sub-tribe amongst Quraysh which did not have kinship with the Prophet ﷺ. If anyone does a good action in obedience to Allah, we will increase the good of it for him and multiply it. Allah is ever forgiving of wrong actions, ever thankful for a few right actions which He multiplies. In verse number 23, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ لَا أَسْأَلُكُمْ عَلَيْهِ أَجْرًا إِلَّا الْمَوَدَّةَ فِي الْقُرْبَى I do not ask you for any wage for this except for you to love your near of kin. The near of kin that is being referred to here is the different tribes of Quraysh. Because the different tribes of Quraysh all go back to the same ancestor. So the near of kin here doesn't refer to specifically, for example, according to one opinion anyway, amongst the scholars of tafsir, doesn't refer to just his immediate family of his children and his cousins and, and uncles and aunts and so on. It refers to Quraysh in general. And this is what the author Ta'ala has chosen as his position. There was no sub-tribe amongst Quraysh which did not have kinship with the Prophet And that is the statement of Ibn Abbas. He said that the meaning of this is that there wasn't a sub-tribe, meaning a clan of Quraysh, except that they had relations amongst them. They go back to the same ancestors. So what does it mean then? It means, according to one statement amongst the scholars, is that Allah is telling the Prophet to say that I don't ask any wage from you, except what you should do towards me anyway as a result of our ties of kinship. Meaning I don't want money, and I don't want position, and I don't want power, and I don't want leadership, but we are related, and cousins, and relations, and relatives, at the very least, have cordial relationships amongst themselves. They have that level of courtesy, and, and respect, and honor, as they do, because they are related to one another. That is what Allah Azza wa is saying. So He doesn't want payment for them, but the ties of kinship that already exist should be respected. That's one position. The second position amongst the scholars of tafsir, as mentioned by Sa'id ibn Jubayr rahimahullah ta'ala is illa al-mawaddata fil-qurba you may not like what I say but at least leave my family and relations out of it meaning don't harm my extended family my actual relatives because of your opposition to me and that is a well-known also meaning because we know that the Quraysh at times even the disbelieving members of the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was subjected to their, to their oppression for example when they boycotted the Prophet and the companions and his family, Banu Hashim, Banu Al-Muttalib, in the Shi'b of Abi Talib. That boycott, which was a social, economic boycott and a political boycott, was to harm all of them. 
relatives of the Prophet ﷺ, believers and disbelievers amongst them. So at the very least, don't harm them. They did nothing towards you. Another from amongst the scholars said that I don't want to seek the third opinion. I don't seek any wage from you. But all that I want from you is that you should turn to Allah in terms of loving Him and worshipping Him and joining the ties of kinship amongst you. Those are the three positions. Number one, that you should respect the Prophet ﷺ in terms of the ties of relationship that you have with him. Number two, that if you don't like me, at least don't harm my family. Number three, that it is a command to them that all I call you to is to love Allah and to respect the ties of your kinship. And Allah knows best. أَمْ يَقُولُونَ افْتَرَى عَلَى اللَّهِ كَذِبًا Or do they ask, has he invented a lie about Allah by ascribing the Qur'an to Allah? If Allah willed, He could shore up your heart by making you steadfast in the face of their harming you by saying that and other things. He did indeed do so. By His words, Allah wipes out the false things which they say and confirms the truth by the words which He sent down to His Prophet. He knows what the heart contains. In verse 24, Allah Azza wa says, أَمْ يَقُولُونَ افْتَرَى عَلَى اللَّهِ كَذِبًا فَإِنْ يَشَئِ اللَّهُ يَخْتِمْ عَلَى قَلْبِكَ Or do they ask, has he invented a lie about Allah? If Allah willed, he could shore up your heart. The author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, chooses one tafsir, which is mentioned by some of them, and that is by making you steadfast in the face of their harm. The other position amongst the scholars of tafsir, the one that was chosen by Tabari and Ibn Kathir and Ibn Al-Qayyim, Ali Muhammadullah, is that Allah could cut off revelation from you if He so wished. Do they see that you ascribe lies to Allah if Allah willed? He could seal off your heart, meaning by cutting off revelation from you. And they chose that tafsir because it fits more with the context of the verse. Allah is speaking about ascribing lies to Him. And Allah Azza wa says, يَخْتِمْ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ And the word khatim means to seal something off. And to seal something off means to cut it off. So therefore they said that the meaning of that is that if Allah t- intended, had Allah willed, He could make revelation cease to come to you. To show that it is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does as He pleases in terms of giving His revelation to whomsoever He wishes. It is He who accepts repentance from slaves and pardons evil acts. And he knows what you do, read as تفعلون, and also يفعلون, what they do. وَيَسْتَجِيمُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَيَزِيدُهُمْ مِنْ فَضْلٍ He responds to those who believe and do right actions and grants them what they ask for and gives them increase from his favor. وَالْكَافِرُونَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ شَدِيدٌ But the unbelievers will have a harsh punishment. وَلَوْ بَسَطَ اللَّهُ الرِّزْقَ لِعِبَادِهِ لَبَغَوْ فِي الْأَرْضِ Were Allah to expand the provision of all His slaves, they would all act as tyrants on the earth. وَلَكِنْ يُنَزِّلُ بِقَدَرٍ مَا يَشَاءُ But He sends down, read as, يُنَزِّلُ and يُنزَلُ Whatever provision He wills in a measured way. He sends it down and gives more to some and less to others. Tyranny results from excessive provision. He is aware of and he sees his slaves. Allah Azzawajal in this verse, verse 27 says that had he wished, he could have opened up provision for everyone. But then if he had done that, then there would have been much corruption upon the earth. Because if everyone is a millionaire, then 
there is no meaning of someone else who needs to work for you, someone that you can employ, someone that can come and do your jobs for you. And the society works on the basis of people helping others, working for others, benefiting from others. If no one needs anyone else in terms of getting their money, employment, getting a job, getting a wage, a means of income, then there would be much corruption upon the earth. وهو الذي ينزل الغيث من بعد ما قنطوا وينشر رحمته. It is he who sends down abundant rain after they have lost all hope of it and unfolds his mercy in the form of rain. وهو الولي الحميد. He is a protector who is good to the believers, the praiseworthy, praised by them. ومن آياته خلق السماوات والأرض وما بث فيهما من داب. Among his signs is the creation of the heavens and earth, and all the creatures he has spread out in them, spread about in them, all the animals and people that move about the earth. And he has the power to gather them together whenever he wills. Verse 30. This is addressed to the believers. Any disaster, meaning affliction or hardship that strikes you is through what? Meaning the wrong actions your own hands have earned. Hands are mentioned because most actions are done using them. And he pardons much. He pardons, he pardons many of them and does not exact, exact repayment for them. As for those who do not do wrong, the afflictions which befall them in this world come in order to raise their degrees in the next world. وَمَا أَنْتُمْ بِمُعْجِزِينَ فِي you, idolaters, will not be able to thwart him on the earth, meaning flee from Allah or escape him. And you have no protector or helper besides Allah to avert the punishment from you. Among his signs are the tall ships sailing like tall mountains through the sea. If he wills, he makes the wind stop blowing and then ships stop moving. And then they lie motionless on its back. There are certainly signs of that for everyone who is steadfast and thankful. Meaning believers who are steadfast in affliction and thankful in ease. Or the wind can destroy the ship and then he wrecks it and drowns them for what, meaning the wrong, wrong actions they have earned. Though he pardons much of that and does not drown people. In these verses Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of an element of his signs that shows his greatness subhanahu wa ta'ala in his creation. And that is that Allah azza wa often gives us something that is a blessing that at times can become a punishment. Like the wind, a gentle, cool, nice breeze is something which is pleasant and nice. But that same wind can turn into a tornado or a hurricane and destroy everything in its path. Rain is something which is a mercy when it descends upon people and it benefits them. But excessive rain turns into flooding and it harms them. The sun is something which we enjoy when it's a nice, nice day that the sun comes out and it's nice and the temperature is good. But that same sun, if it becomes excessive, leads to drought and famine. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every one of those signs that he has given to us shows us that if he wished, he could make it beneficial if he wished. It could become a source of difficulty for people and a punishment upon them. And that is from the greatest signs of Allah Azza wa Jalla. 
those who argue about our signs should know that they have no way of escape, and that he may drown them in order to take revenge on them, and they will have no way to run away. Verse 36. This is addressed to believers and others. فَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَمَتَاعُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Whatever you have been given is only the enjoyment of goods in the life of this world, and it will soon vanish. وَمَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا عَلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ What is with Allah by way of reward is better and longer lasting for those who believe and trust in their Lord. وَالَّذِينَ يَجْتَنِبُونَ كَبَائِرَ الْإِثْمِ وَالْفَوَاحِشَ وَإِذَا مَا غَضِبُوهُمْ يَغْفِرُونَ Those who avoid major wrong actions and indecencies which necessitate the hudud punishments and who, when they are angered, then overlook and forgive. وَالَّذِينَ اسْتَجَابُوا لِرَبِّهِمْ Those who respond to their Lord and act on what He calls them to in terms of tawheed and worship. وَأَقَامُ الصَّلَاةِ And establish regular prayer. وَأَمُّهُمْ شُورَا بَيْنَهُمْ And manage their affairs in the way which seems right to them by mutual consultation about them and are not hasty. وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ and give, meaning spend, of what we have provided for them in obedience to Allah. These verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the attributes of the believers from verses 36 onwards. And from them is what Allah Azza wa mentions, وَأَمْرُهُمْ شُورًا بَيْنَهُمْ That the believers mutually consult one another in the affairs that, that are part of, that, that uh, focus on all of them. And that is from the attributes of the believers and it is after this attribute that Allah Azza wa or that the surah is named. Surah Shura And that is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam As we know would often gather the companions And consult them on major issues That affected all of them And he would often take their opinions on board And he would often listen to them And we already given one of the greatest examples of that In the Battle of Uhud And what shows you that this is a principle of Islam Is that sometimes even when The result of that consultation is incorrect like in the Battle of Uhud where they went against what the Prophet ﷺ wanted to do. He wanted to stay in Medina. They advised him to go out or some of them. Then even then, the Prophet ﷺ didn't dismiss the basis of what is the principle of consultation. Even though sometimes you may have the adverse effect on what is being uh, intended. But that shows you that the principle itself is still correct. And that is why it is important for those people who have this type of shura or the people that you consult in your affairs are people of knowledge and wisdom. Because they are more likely to give you an, uh, an answer which is correct. And that's why the scholars used to go to the people who are most senior. If you want to seek knowledge, you go to the one who is oldest in age and the one who has most knowledge from what you can determine. And that is how you base on Because the one who is older in knowledge, meaning they have knowledge and they are older in age, is more likely to be better and more correct and more upright than the one who has knowledge and is younger, as a general principle. And that is why the scholars of old used to go to the oldest from amongst them. Because they are more likely to be people who inshallah ta'ala are closer to Allah and further away from the desires of youth. And so from the stories that I heard about Shaykh bin Baz ta'ala is when the, in, in his time when people used to ask their parents, young children or people in their teens would ask their parents and their parents were people of knowledge or and this is before Shaykh bin Baz became famous. They would ask their parents, who do we go and study with? They would take them to Sheikh bin Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala, because he was known for his knowledge and his age and his wisdom. And those were average people before TV and before internet and before radio. And all of those things became popular. And that is because people know 
knowledge when they see knowledge in terms of character and in terms of wisdom. Those who, when they are wronged, defend themselves. The word for wronged, baghi, means suffer injustice. They may revenge themselves on those who have wronged them with the like of the wrong done to them, as Allah says in the next ayah. وَجَزَاءُ سَيِّئَةٍ سَيِّئَةٌ مِثْلُهَا The repayment of a bad action is one equivalent to it. The second action is called a bad action because its form resembles the first. This is clear when retaliation for wounds is taken. It is said that when someone says, May Allah disgrace you, he answers him with, May Allah disgrace you too. فَمَنْ وَأَصْلَحَ فَأَجْرُهُ عَلَى اللَّهِ But if someone pardons the person who wrongs him and puts things right, meaning restores the love between him and the one he pardons, his reward for doing that is, is with Allah. إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الظَّالِمِينَ Certainly he does not love wrongdoers who initiate wrongdoing, and so he will punish them. In this verse, verse number 40, Ibn Qayyim and Ibn Kathir rahimahumullah ta'ala mentioned that this is from the attributes of the believers. That when they are wronged, they have the ability to exact revenge. They have the ability to settle what they need to settle in terms of the wrongs that have been taken from them in a manner which is just. Meaning if someone takes something from them, they're able to extract from them their rights in a manner which is just and according to the law of, of Islam or the law of the country that they're in. And if they are able to forgive with that ability, that is better. Because they have the ability to exact back their revenge for what they do, instead is they forgive for the, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the general rule. That to forgive and to pardon is always better in the hope that Allah Azza wa and with the intention that Allah forgives you in return. As we mentioned in Surah An-Nur about the story of the slender of Aisha radiallahu anha and the relative of Abu Bakr radiallahu anha. But that is not a general principle. Meaning it is a general principle but it is not in every single case. Where there is a greater benefit and a greater maslaha in holding someone to account and not forgiving them then the Sharia orders and commands us to do so. So if you know, for example, by forgiving someone who steals, they will continue to steal and harm others, you're not allowed to forgive them. Because by doing so, you enable them to go on and to continue stealing. And so that requires fiqh and it requires judgment and wisdom. And from the examples of that, is what is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari. The story of Abu, Abu, Abu Uzza, who was one of the leaders of Quraysh, or one of the people of Quraysh, a poet from amongst Quraysh, who on the day of Badr fought against the Muslims. He was a captive that was captured in Badr. So he came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked for him, asked for clemency, that he should be released and forgiven and let go. The Prophet ﷺ agreed with the condition, one condition, that you never fight the Muslims again. Go back to Mecca and the next time there's fighting, stay away. He agreed. So the Prophet ﷺ released him. But on the day of Uhud, he comes again and he's fighting with the Quraysh. And again the Prophet ﷺ captures him. So again he comes and he says, O Messenger of Allah, Give me clemency, forgive me. The Prophet ﷺ said, no. I will not have you going back to the people of Mecca saying that you deceived me twice. Meaning you broke the oath. And so the Prophet ﷺ had him executed. And that is where we get the hadith, the famous hadith that the believer is not stung from the same hole twice. Comes from that incident. The Prophet ﷺ said to him, the believer isn't stung from the same hole twice. Meaning that there are times when you should forgive and pardon. But if that would only make someone more arrogant, more oppressive, transgress even further, then that is not something which is recommended and Allah knows best.
But if people do defend themselves when they are wronged and wrong those who have wronged them, nothing can be held against them for doing that, and there is no punishment. They are only grounds against those who wrong people and act as tyrants and commit acts of disobedience in the earth without any right to do so. Such people will have a painful punishment. But if someone is steadfast and does not defend himself and forgives and overlooks, that steadfastness and overlooking is the most resolute course to follow, qualities which are desired in the Sharia. And from the stories in this regard about forgiving, when you know that someone is genuinely making a mistake, to forgive them even if they've committed a crime is better as long as it doesn't lead to further crime and evil. It is what is mentioned in the biography of Sheikh ibn Baz, ta'ala, that he was once praying Qiyamul Layl in his home. And someone broke into his home while the rest of his family is asleep, uh, are asleep. And the person didn't know that the sheikh would be awake praying. And the sheikh was blind, rahimahullah ta'ala. But when he heard that there's someone there and they're, and they're doing something that seems incorrect, the Prophet called for uh, the, the, the sheikh, rahimahullah ta'ala, called for his sons. So they woke up and they found a thief and they caught him. And so the sheikh, instead of asking for his sons to call the police, he asked the man, why are you stealing? Why have you broken into my house? The man replied that I come from a different country. He's not a, a Saudi national. He's an expat. I come from a different country and I work here. And my mother or my father or some relative of his had to undergo an operation that was extremely expensive. And I don't have the money for that. So I broke in because I just needed money to help them. And I'm extremely hungry. I haven't eaten. I haven't drank. I'm saving my money. And I am desperate. The sheikh said to his sons, go and feed him. They said, we need to call the police, he's, he's a thief, we're not going to feed a thief. The sheikh said, leave him alone, leave him be. So not only does the sheikh feed him, but he helps him, and he helps him to gather some money, so that he can go and pay for the, uh, the operation of his family members, or family member. That man, after seeing this from the sheikh, and his wisdom, and his gentleness, and his mercy, and his forgiveness, he became one of the students of the sheikh and left his life, previous life, and became a student of knowledge. And that is the meaning here, that when you see within someone a genuine need to forgive and pardon, and that it benefits them, then the Sharia commands us to do so. And where there is no good in that, and there will only be an increase in harm, then the Sharia tells us not to do so. Whoever Allah misguides has no one to protect them after that. Meaning no one can undertake the guidance of someone after Allah has misguided him. You will see the wrongdoers saying, when they see the punishment, is there no way back to the world? You will see them as they are exposed to it, meaning the fire, abject in their abasement, humble and fearful, glancing around them furtively, stealing glances. Those who believe will say, truly the losers are those who lose themselves and their families on the day of rising. They will be forever in the fire and will not obtain the huris prepared for them in the garden, which they would have had if they had believed. The 
wrongdoers, meaning unbelievers, are in an everlasting continuous punishment. وَمَا كَانَ لَهُمْ مِنْ أَوْلِيَاءَ يَنْصُرُونَهُمْ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ They have no one to protect or help them apart from Allah. There is no one who can avert the punishment of Allah. وَمَنْ يُضْلِلِ اللَّهُ فَمَا لَهُ مِنْ سَبِيلٍ There is no way out for anyone, Allah misguides. No path to the truth in this world or to the garden in the next world. إِسْتَجِيبُونِ رَبِّكُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ يَوْمٌ لَا مَرَدَّ لَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ Respond to your Lord by affirming His unity and worshipping Him before a day, meaning the day of resurrection, comes from Allah which cannot be turned back. No one can turn it aside. مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ مَلْجَئٍ On that day you will have no hiding place, nowhere to seek refuge. وَمَا لَكُمْ مِنْ نَكِيرٍ And no means of denial of your wrong actions. فَإِنْ أَعْرَضُوا فَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ عَلَيْهِمْ حَفِيظًا But if they turn away and fail to respond, we have not sent you to be their guardian to ensure that their actions conform to what is desired. إِنْ عَلَيْكَ إِلَّا الْبَلَاغُ You are only responsible for transmission. This was before the command to fight jihad. وَإِنَّا إِذَا أَذَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِنَّا رَحْمَةً فَرِحَ بِهَا When we let a man, used generically to mean all human beings, taste mercy, meaning here a blessing like wealth or health from us, he exalts in it. وَإِن تُصِبْهُمْ سَيِّئَةٌ بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ فَإِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ كَفُورٌ But if something bad, meaning an affliction, strikes him for what he has done, literally what his hands have advanced, because hands are the limbs by which most actions are carried out, he is ungrateful for the blessings he has received. لِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ The kingdom of the heavens and earth belongs to Allah. يَخْلُقُ مَا يَشَاءُ He creates whatever he wills. يَهَبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ إِنَاثًا He gives daughters to whoever he wishes. وَيَهَبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ الذُّكُورِ And he gives sons to whoever he wishes. أَوْ يُزَوِّجُهُمْ ذُكْرَانَهُمْ وَإِنَاثًا Or he gives them both sons and daughters. وَيَجَعَلُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ عَقِيمًا And he makes whoever he wishes barren, without children. إِنَّهُ عَلِيمٌ قَدِيرٌ Truly, he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and therefore able to do whatever he wishes. In these verses 49 and 50, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about his power jalla fi ula in terms of how he determines and what he pleases and chooses to do in terms of giving children to people. Some of them he gives to them only daughters, some of them only sons, some of them a mixture of sons and daughters, and some of them have no children. And Imam al-Baghavi rahimahullah ta'ala said from the prophets that Allah azza wa jal only gave daughters to is Lut alayhi salam as Allah mentions in the Quran, showing that there is honor in having daughters. And from this, the prophets that only had sons is Ibrahim alayhi salam. And from the prophets that are both is our prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And from the prophets who have neither are prophets like Isa and Yahya alayhi salatu wasallam. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them. And one of the biggest calamities of our time still that are the remnants of jahiliyyah is when people look down upon daughters. Or when people think that it is some type of shame that still exists in many communities. Even in those communities that claim that it no longer exists amongst them. If a person has a daughter once and then twice and then three times, people become somewhat afraid or upset for them or they feel some shame for them or they feel bad for them that Allah didn't give them a son. 
And so that is still common and dominant in many cultures. Ibn al-Qayyim has a very nice tafsir of this verse and he says that when Allah speaks about children, he begins with daughters. doesn't begin with sons. Even though usually when people talk about children, they begin with sons. Allah starts and does the opposite. And that's why it is said that Imam Ahmad rahimahullah, if he had that one of his friends or relatives had a daughter, he would send them a message and say, have glad tidings for verily the prophets were fathers of daughters. And our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa his lineage today only comes from his daughters alayhi salatu wasalam. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala says, so why does Allah azza wa start with daughters? He says a number of reasons. Number one is so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could console them. Because Allah knows how people think about them and treat them. So Allah Azza wa begins with them before he begins with children. Another reason he says that is possible is because he does the opposite. Allah does the opposite of what the Quraysh and the Arabs used to do. They would give preference to their sons above their daughters. So Allah begins with daughters above sons to show that there is no difference in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah gives to whomsoever he pleases, whatsoever he pleases. And the third is perhaps the best of them that Ibn Qayyim mentions, the best of those reasons, and that is because the context of the verses is that it is Allah who chooses and not you. And because people, when they think of children, mostly think of sons predominantly, and then maybe later daughters, Allah starts with daughters to show that He is the one who chooses, and it is up to Him and what He wishes, and not what is according to the parents' wishes. And how many daughters have done more in terms of honoring their parents and serving them and respecting them than sons and how many daughters have elevated themselves in terms of their status in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of what they have done in terms of their service to their elders and so Allah azza wa gives this to whomsoever he pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is from the greatest gifts that Allah azza wa can give to a person a child if they use that child in a way in a way that is pleasing to Allah azza wa and we already mentioned the story of Imran in Surah Ali Imran of Maryam السلام, and how the daughter becomes a sign and a role model that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places for both men and women. وَمَا كَانَ لِبَشَرٍ أَن يُكَلِّمَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَّا It does not befit Allah to address any human being except by inspiration while they are asleep or actual inspiration while awake. أَوْ مِنْ or from behind a veil, so that he hears his words but does not see him, as was the case with Musa, peace be upon him. Or he sends a messenger, an angel like Jibreel, who then reveals to the messenger to whom he is sent by speaking to him, by his, meaning Allah's permission, whatever he wills. He is indeed most high above the attributes of temporal things, all wise in whatever he does. And this verse, verse 51, is the tafsir of the verse that we mentioned at the beginning of this surah, Surah Shura, the third verse. Allah expresses here the different forms of revelation. From them is that it is revelation, meaning that comes from direct inspiration. That the message is placed deep within the heart of the Prophet. As happened with the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith, in which the Prophet ﷺ said that indeed Jibreel, came and placed within my heart, meaning they didn't speak to him, but he placed the message within his heart. 
that no soul shall die until they fulfill their lifespan and they fulfill the provision that Allah has written for them. That is the means of revelation. And from them is that Allah speaks to them directly from behind the veil. And from them is that a messenger, meaning an angel like Jibreel comes to them. وَكَذَلِكَ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ رُوحًا مِنْ أَمْرِنَا Accordingly, we have revealed to you Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a ruh, meaning the Qur'an, which gives life to the hearts, as we reveal to other messengers by our command. مَا كُنْتَ تَدْرِي مَا الْكِتَابُ وَلَا الْإِيمَانِ Before the revelation came, you had no idea of what the book, meaning the Qur'an was, or faith, meaning the laws and practices of Islam. وَلَكِنْ جَعَلْنَاهُ نُورًا نَهْدِي بِهِ مَنْ نَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا Yet we have made it, meaning the ruh or the book, a light, by which we guide those of our slaves we will. وَإِنَّكَ لَتَهْدِي إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ Truly you are guiding, by the revelation given to you, to a straight path, meaning the deen of Islam. صِرَاطِ اللَّهِ الَّذِي لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ the path of Allah to whom everything in the heavens and everything on the earth belongs. Indeed, all matters return eventually to Allah. Surah Al-Zukhruf, the gold ornaments. This surah is Meccan except for Ayah 45, which is Medinan. It has 89 ayat and was sent down after Ashura. And this is the 43rd surah of the Quran. Surah Al-Zukhruf and this word Al-Zukhruf will come later on in the surah itself and it is after that word that the surah is named it is a Meccan surah uh, according to the vast majority of the scholars uh, Ibn Kathir and Imam Al-Qurtubi even went so far to say by, by unanimous agreement of the scholars of Tafsir although as you can see from Al-Mahalli's statement here that there is some difference of opinion concerning some of its verses that Muqatil rahimahullah said that some of them are Medinan but the vast majority of the scholars said that it is a Meccan surah and from the names as we mentioned before from the names of this surah is Hamim al-Zukhruf Hamim al-Zukhruf as mentioned by Al-Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala in his Sahih Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Hamim Allah knows best what is meant by this by the book, meaning the Qur'an, which makes things clear. Makes clear the path of guidance and the sharia rulings needed for it. We have made it an Arabic Qur'an, so that perhaps you, meaning people of Mecca, may use your intellect and understand its meanings. It is in the source book with us. The source of all divinely revealed books, the preserved tablet, high exalted over the books before it, full of vast wisdom. Shall we then deprive you of the reminder, meaning keep the Quran back from you, so that you cannot command or prohibit by means of it, for being a profligate people, idolaters? No. In this verse, verse number 5, Allah says, Shall we then deprive you of the reminder? What does that mean, shall we deprive you of the reminder? Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said that shall we turn away from you, meaning after you have turned away from the reminder, should we just ignore you and not then punish you, ignore you and not hold you to account? That's the first meaning. The second one is what is mentioned by Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala, 
is that should we turn away from you and reminding you, if you turn away from us and our reminder, meaning that if you turn away from the Quran, should we then turn the Quran away from you? Those are the two positions amongst the scholars of Tafsir as to the meaning of that verse. And Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala says that this verse shows that it shows the mercy of Allah Azza wa and how much Allah wants good for His creation. That despite their constant turning away and abandoning the Quran, Allah Azza wa keeps reminding them. Allah says that had He wished, if the first time they turn away, Allah could have ignored them. They turn away once and we turn away. And this is Qatada says, but it shows that Allah Azza wa didn't turn away from them that he continues to remind them, that we're told to continue to remind them, continue to convey the message to them, continue to recite the verses of the Qur'an to those who turn away from Allah Azza wa Jal. And that is the principle from which the Prophet Sallallahu took his life of prophethood. That the Prophet Sallallahu didn't just turn away from Quraysh at the first time of refusal, or from others, but he would continue to remind and remind and convey and convey and teach until either they passed away or until some of them accepted Islam. And that is always the characteristic of the one who calls to Allah Azza wa Whether it's to a non-Muslim or to a Muslim, to your children, to your family members, to whoever it may be, that you continuously remind, that you benefit them by reminding them, and again, and again, and again. And that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who remind. And it is from the characteristics of the people of, of Islam. وَكَمْ أَرْسَلْنَا مِن نَبِيٍّ فِي الْأَوَّلِينَ how many prophets we sent to the previous peoples? وَمَا يَأْتِيهِمْ مِنْ نَبِيٍ إِلَّا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَهْزِئُونَ But no prophet came to them without their mocking him. Previous prophets were mocked as your people mock you. This is solace for the Prophet فَأَهْلَكْنَا أَشَدَّ مِنْهُمْ بَطُشًا وَمَضَى مَثَلُ الْأَوَّلِينَ And so we destroyed people with greater power than they have, who are more powerful than your people. And the pattern of the previous peoples has gone before. There are signs in the earlier peoples and how they were destroyed, and the end of your people will be like that. If you were to ask them who created the heavens and the earth, they would reply, the Almighty, the All-Knowing, created them. It is only Allah who possesses the necessary might and knowledge. Allah adds, it is he who made the earth a cradle for you. A comfortable birth for you as a cradle is for an infant. And made pathways for you in it, so that perhaps you might be guided to your destinations when you travel. It is he who sends down water in due measure from the sky, according to your need for it. He does not make it an overwhelming flood, by which we bring a dead land back to life. That is how you too will be brought back to life, and will be brought forth from your graves alive. It is he who created all species and gave you ships and livestock such as camels for you to ride. In verse number 12, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, It is he who created all species. The word azwaj means spouse or something similar to it. And Imam al-Tabri says that the meaning of the word here, azwaj, in verse number 12, is that for every male there is a female that Allah created, and for every female there is a male that Allah created. 
That is one position. The other position is the one mentioned by Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, and chosen by Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, that the word azwaj here means nabat. It means vegetation and growth from the ground. And that is because in verse 11, Allah is speaking about the life coming back to the dead earth. And so this is a continuation from that. So they say, therefore, what Allah is referring to here, specifically from his signs, because Allah then mentions livestock and animals and ships, is that it's referring to the vegetation on the earth. And Allah knows best. So that you might sit firmly on their backs and remember your Lord's blessings while you are seated on them, saying, Glory be to him who has subjected this to us and made it obey us. We could never have accomplished it by ourselves. Indeed, we are returning to our Lord. In, in these verses 13 and 14, from the statement, Subhanallah, until the end of verse 14, is part of the dua that the Prophet would make when he would be traveling on a journey. And the statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla, "Wama kunna lahu muqrinin," we could never have accomplished them by our, we could never have accomplished it by ourselves. Meaning, using these animals and traveling in this way has two meanings. Number one is that we wouldn't be able to control them, were it not for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Were it not for Allah's permission, we couldn't be able to control them. Meaning, even get on their backs if it's animals to ride them. And number two, determine the manner and direction of their travel. So number one, control them as in even be able to ride them to begin with. And number two, then control the manner of direction of our travel. And that's why it is from the amazing signs of Allah Azzawajal that a young child can go to an animal like the camel that is much bigger and stronger than it and lead it by its reins and take it as it wishes and travel upon it as it pleases, as he pleases. And that is from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that is what we praise Allah Azzawajal for, that ability. They have assigned to him a portion of his creatures. This was done in saying the angels are the daughters of Allah, because the child is a portion of the father. The angels are the slaves of Allah. Truly man is openly ungrateful and clearly demonstrating unbelief. In verse 15 Allah says, They assigned to him a portion of his creatures. What does it mean a portion? The scholars differ. One of them, one of those opinions is what Al-Mahali rahimahullah mentions that it's referring to the angels being the daughters of Allah. Another opinion is that it refers to Allah, those people who claim that Allah has taken a son. The third of them is the portion that they assign is in the idols that they worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the opinion chosen by Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala in this verse is the portion refers to what Allah mentioned in Surah Al-An'am that they give a portion of their vegetation and their produce and their animals and livestock to other than Allah Azza wa Jal. As Allah mentioned in that surah, that they would give a portion of it to their idols and a portion to Allah. And what belonged to the idols would go to Allah, but what belonged to Allah could come to the idols. He says that is what is being referred to. And all are similar meanings and Allah knows best. Has he then taken daughters from what he has created and chosen sons for you? Do you say this? This is a sentence which negates what they have said. 
ضرب للرحمن مثلا ظل وجهه مسودا وهو كظيم When any of them is given the good news of the very thing which he himself was ascribed to the all mercy for In other words, when he is given the good news of a girl which is like the daughters they ascribe to him His face darkens with sorrow and he is furious, filled with rage Then how can he ascribe daughters to Allah? In verse number 17, this is obviously a continuation of what we were just speaking about at the end of the previous surah in, uh, in Surah Al-Shura. In this verse, verse number 17, Allah Azza wa describes those people who when they were given, and still are given the glad tidings of a daughter as a child, they haste, their face becomes darkened, meaning out of sadness and distress. And the word kazim can mean furious, but what it means more so is an extreme depression, an extreme sadness and grief and anxiety and worry. And that is why when Allah Azza wa describes the Prophet Ya'qub alayhi salam, he calls him kazim wa tawalla anhu wa qala ya asafa ala yusuf wa biyadat aynahu min al-huzni fahuwa kazim. Kazim is that he became extremely upset, extremely sad, extremely worried. And that is the meaning here as well. And Allah knows best. أَوَمَنْ يُنَشَّأُ فِي الْحِلْيَةِ وَهُوَ فِي الْخِصَامِ غَيْهُ مُبِينَ What? Do you attribute to Allah someone brought up among pretty trinkets and jewellery and who cannot produce a cogent argument in her weakness? In verse 18, because that is what they would say about those daughters when they would say, we prefer sons. They would say, because they're not good for war, they don't fight, they don't fight battles and they don't do whatever. And that is the same concept that many people have today, that their daughters won't bring an income, that they won't help them in terms of you know, the, the stuff that men can do in terms of work and in terms of helping and whatever. And they dismissed other things, or even if that is not true, but they dismiss what women can do often more better than many men. And so Allah says that these are the arguments that they made concerning their daughters that they didn't want, but then they ascribe them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as daughters. They have designated the angels as female, those who are in the presence of the All-Merciful. Were they present to witness their creation? The testimony that the angels are female will be recorded and they will be asked about it in the next world and will endure punishment on that account. They say, if the All-Merciful had so willed, we would not have worshipped them. If Allah had willed, they would not have worshipped the angels. They claim that they worship them by His will, which shows that He must be pleased with it. Allah responds, They have no knowledge of that, about His being pleased with the worship of those idols. They are only conjecturing. They lie and will suffer punishment on account of that. In this verse, verse number 20, and the previous verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the folly of those people who took other than Allah azza wa jal as what is as what they claimed as God besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Kathir ta'ala mentions that they did this in a number of ways. Number one, the fact that they claimed that Allah has a child is a grave sin of theirs. Then number two, that they ascribe the angels as being the daughters of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, then they say that they are deserving of worship besides Allah Azza wa Jal. So Allah has daughters, number two. Number three, then those daughters deserve to be worshipped besides Allah Azza wa Jal. Number four, then they use decree as an evidence. That Allah decreed it for us. If Allah had decreed it for us, we wouldn't have done it. Number six, number five then, that they think that Allah Azza wa wants that promise by using decree as an evidence. So therefore, if Allah decreed it, that means that he must want from us to make shirk. 
And Imam uh, or Sheikh Muhammad Amin al-Shaqiti says, so what they're using in these verses as proof and evidence is they claim that if surely guidance to them is what their forefathers were upon. What they're saying is that if Allah had wished, we wouldn't have worshipped them. So what Allah gives us guidance is what our forefathers are upon. And Allah Azza wa dismisses this. And he says, rather what guidance is, is what Allah gives from the Qur'an and from the message of the Prophet not what your forefathers were upon. And because of their misunderstanding of that principle of what denotes guidance, and there's the same issue that many Muslims have today when they think that guidance and what is correct is what they find their elders upon, that is not the guidance that Allah Azza wa gives. But the guidance that Allah gives is what He gives in terms of His revelation. أَمْ آتَيْنَاهُمْ كِتَابًا مِّن قَبْلِهِ فَهُمْ بِهِ مُسْتَمْسِكُونَ Or did we give them a book before, the Qur'an, which contains instructions to worship other than Allah, and which they are holding, holding on to? No, that has not occurred. بَلْ قَالُوا إِنَّا وَجَدَنَا آبَاءَنَا عَلَىٰ أُمَّةٍ وَإِنَّا عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ مُهْتَدُونَ no, in fact, they say, we found our fathers following a religion. The word ummah, which normally means community, here means religion. And we are simply guided in their footsteps. They used, they used to worship other than Allah, and so we do too. وَكَذَانِكَ مَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ فِي قَرْيَةٍ مِنْ نَذِيرٍ إِلَّا قَالَ مُتْرَفُوهَا إِنَّا وَجَدْنَا آبَاءَنَا عَلَىٰ أُمَّةٍ إِنَّا وَجَدْنَا آبَاءَنَا عَلَىٰ أُمَّةٍ وَإِنَّا عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ مُقْتَلُونَ Similarly, we never sent any warner before you to any city without the affluent among them, meaning those who were given blessings, similar to those your people enjoy, saying, We found our fathers following a religion, and we are simply following in their footsteps. قَالَ أَوَلَوْ جِئْتُكُمْ بِأَهْدَى مِمَّا وَجَدْتُمْ عَلَيْهِ آبَاءَكُمْ Say to them, do you follow that? What if I have come with better guidance than what you found your fathers following? قَالُوا إِنَّا بِمَا أُرْسِلْتُمْ بِهِ كَافِرُونَ They say, we reject what you and the prophets before you have been sent with. And this is what Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin rahimahullah was referring to, verses 22 to 24. That their understanding of guidance is what they found their forefathers upon. And that is why they ascribe partners to Allah, with Allah in worship. Whether that be a child in the form of a son or daughter or the idols that they worship besides Allah. Their whole basis of their religion is guidance, is what we find our forefathers upon. Surely, not all of them could have been misguided for generations. All of them misguided. How is that possible? And Allah says, do you have a book from Allah that claims that that is what guidance is? And that every prophet that came before you gave the same thing. And then the Prophet is commanded to say, But what if I, what I, I have brought you is better guidance than what you think is guidance that your forefathers are upon. And that is why our religion is based upon what Allah says in the Quran and what the Prophet said. Verse 25. Then Allah threatens them by saying, So we took revenge on them, meaning those who denied the messengers before you. فَانْظُرْ كَيْفَ كَانَ عَاقِبَةُ الْمُكَذِّبِينَ And see the final fate of the deniers. وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ لِأَبِيهِ وَقَوْمِهِ إِنَّنِي بَرَاءٌ مِّمَّا تَعْبُدُونَ Remember when Ibrahim said to his father and his people, I am free of everything you worship. إِلَّا الَّذِي فَطَرَنِي فَإِنَّهُ سَيَهْدِينَ Except for him who created me and brought me into being, who will certainly guide me to his deen. 
وَجَعَلَهَا كَلِمَةً بَاقِيَةً فِي عَقِبِهِ He made it, meaning the formula of Tawheed, which is understood from his words, I am going towards my Lord, he will be my guide, an ongoing word among his descendants. And there are those who will continue to affirm the unity of Allah among them. So that perhaps they might turn back, so that the people of Mecca may return from what they are doing to the deen of Ibrahim, their ancestor. In verse 28, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often in the context of the story of the Prophet Ibrahim, alayhi salatu wasalam, speaks about the concept of Tawheed. We made this word, meaning the word of Tawheed, which is La ilaha illallah, continue within his descendants. Because every Prophet that comes, as we mentioned, after Ibrahim alayhi salam, is from his descendants. And therefore the people who take Tawheed and continue to uh, keep that word of Tawheed going from generation to generation are the descendants of the Prophet Ibrahim salam. And that shows you the importance of that statement and the weight and gravity to which it is that it has in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah azawajal honors people by that statement of La ilaha illallah and it will be the means by which they enter into Jannah. They enter into Jannah by having that Statement of La ilaha illallah As Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala said in a very nice example that he gave Of the relationship between Tawheed and righteous actions He said Tawheed is the key to Jannah The key to Jannah But the key, every key needs teeth And the teeth of the key to Jannah are the righteous deeds that we perform So if a person has a key that is cut with the correct teeth The lock opens very quickly and easily Without any difficulty for if a person has the key of la ilaha illallah, but those teeth are not refined, they're not cut out correctly, there's a problem in some of them, then that door and that lock doesn't open very easily. And you have to do a lot of back and forth and moving and so on before it opens. And that will be an example of those people who have tawheed with righteous deeds and enter into Jannah by the permission of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And those who have tawheed but don't have the correct teeth in terms of righteous actions and for them they may be delayed in going getting into Jannah unless Allah forgives them by being punished in the fire or those people who don't even have the key and so therefore they cannot open that lock and enter into Jannah. بَلْ مَتَّعْتُهَا أُولَاءِ وَآبَاءَهُمْ حَتَّى جَاءَهُمُ الْحَقُّ وَرَسُولٌ مُّبِينٌ I let those people, meaning the idolaters, and their forefathers enjoy themselves. I did not bring on their punishment until the truth, meaning the Qur'an, came to them, and a messenger to make it clear, to show them the rulings of the Sharia. That was Muhammad but when the truth in the Quran came to them, they said, This is magic, and we reject it. They say, Why was this Quran not sent down to one of the great men of the two cities, meaning Mecca and Ta'if? The men referred to were Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughirah in Mecca and Uwa ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi in Ta'if. And this verse, verse 31, the explanation and the tafsir that is given by the author, Ta'ala, is a position chosen by the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir. That the two cities that are being referred to are Mecca and Ta'if. And that the two individuals that are being referred to are these two men. One, the leader of Quraysh, or one of the leaders of Quraysh, and the other, one of the leaders of the tribe of Thaqif, which is the tribe of Ta'if. Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughirah and Urwa ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. That they said, dismissing the Prophet ﷺ in the revelation that was given to him that surely if Allah would have chosen someone he would have chosen a leader 
from one of these two great cities. Not just an average man, meaning the Prophet but one of the leaders, meaning either himself, Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira, or his compatriot, Urwa ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. That is a very common tafsir. Al-Imam ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir, he doesn't take this position. He says that it is general. There's no need for us to specify that it is Urwa or Walid or anyone. Allah says that this is a common claim that they had. Why didn't Allah send it upon two great people, two leaders from amongst us? You don't need to define who those two leaders are. But either way, the meaning is still the same. Is it they then allocate the mercy, meaning prophethood, in this instance of your Lord? نحن قسمنا بينهم معيشتهم في الحياة الدنيا. We have allocated their livelihood among them in the life of this world and made some of them wealthy and some of them poor. ورفعنا بعضهم فوق بعض درجات ليتخذ بعضهم بعضا سخريا. And raised some of them above others in rank by means of their wealth so that some of them are subservient to others by having to work for a wage because of their poverty. But the mercy of your Lord, meaning the garden, is better than anything they amass in this world. Were it not that mankind might all become one community in unbelief, we would have given those who reject the all-merciful silver roofs, read as suqufan and saqfan, to their houses and silver stairways to ascend to the roof. And silver doors to their houses and silver couches on which to recline. And gold ornaments. If it were not for the fear of unbelief mentioned, Allah would have given mankind both those things because of the lack of importance of this world in His sight. All that is merely the trappings of the life of this world. But the next world, meaning the garden, with your Lord, is for those who are God-fearing. And there is in verse 35 the word Zukhrufa, after which the surah is named. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in these verses that this is how obstinate and how much disbelief and tyranny and even corruption the disbelievers have caused on the face of the earth. And that is without Allah Azza opening for them his treasures. Imagine then if Allah had given them gold and silver in their houses and on their roofs and on their doors and given them all of that, how much more they would only increase in their oppression and evil. If someone shuts his eyes to the remembrance of the All-Merciful, meaning turns away from the Qur'an, we assign him a shaytan who becomes his bosom friend and never leaves him. In verse 36, Allah says, وَمَنْ يَعْشُ عَنْ ذِكْرِ الرَّحْمَانِ Whosoever makes, uh, turns away or uh, as the translation says, he shuts his eyes to the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The word Ya'shu, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala says, those who feign blindness and feign ignorance, meaning that they can see, but they pretend to be blind from the remembrance of Allah azza wa and his signs. And there are people who can remember and pay heed, but they feign ignorance and they feign negligence. And because of that feigning, that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to here. 
There are those people who pretend that they never heard, they never saw, they never knew, they choose to ignore, and they choose to turn away. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that for those people, their closest allies are the shayateen and the devils. They, meaning the shaytans, debar them, meaning those who shut their eyes from the path of guidance, yet they still think they are guided. Until when he, meaning the one who shut his eyes, reaches us, together with his companion on the day of rising, He says, if only there were the distance of the two Easts between you and me, what an evil companion. In verse 38, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Hatta ida ja'ana. Until when he, meaning the one who turns away from Allah, reaches us with his companion, that is the shaitan. So the companion here is the shaitan. He comes to Allah Azzawajal with the shaitan. He says, If only there were the distance, Ya Layta, woe to me. If only there were the distance between us of the two Easts. The two Easts here doesn't mean the two Easts, it means the East and the West. If only between us there was the distance between the East and the West, not the two Easts. And that is because in, Arabic, in the Arabic language, to make things easier to say, things that are common are given one term that refers to both. Mashriqayn, the two East, meaning East and West. As the Arabs say, Qamaran, the two moons. They don't mean two moons, there's no two moons, it means the sun and the moon. But just to make it quicker to say, rather than saying sun and moon every time, they say Qamaran, the two moons, uh, Mashriqan, the two Easts, meaning the East and the West. And so they're saying that they want to be on polar opposites. That is how far they want to be. So the meaning here is, if only there were the distance between the East and the West, between you and me, what an evil companion. Allah says to such people, it, meaning their wish and regret, will not benefit you, meaning those who shut their eyes, today, since you did wrong, and their wrongdoing by associating others with Allah in this world will become clear to them, that you and your fellows share equally in the punishment, since nothing will help them. Can you make the dead hear, or guide the blind, and those who are patently misguided? This means that they will not believe. Either we will extricate you and take revenge on them. Allah will make the Prophet die before he punishes them in this world. And they will then be punished in the next world as well. Or let you see what punishment we have promised them while you are still alive. They are completely in our power. So hold fast to what has been revealed to you, meaning the Quran. You are on a straight path. It is certainly a reminder, meaning honor, in this instance, to you and to your people, since it was revealed in their language. And you will be questioned about fulfilling what it demands of you. In verse number 44. And Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala has a, a very nice statement that he makes. And that is that Allah Azza wa is saying that this is a reminder for you and for your people, meaning for the Prophet ﷺ and his followers. 
and you will be questioned about this on Yom Al-Qiyamah. Imam Qurtubi rahimahullah says that Allah Azza wa Jal throughout the Quran has relayed to us on countless occasions the stories of Bani Israel and how Allah Azza wa Jal favored them and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them a special status and how they were the best people of their time. But then how when they turned away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala humiliated them and Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about them, that he's angry with them and so on and so forth. All that we have covered thus far in the Quran, all of those verses concerning Bani Israel. Imam Al-Qurtubi says this verse then shows that if this Ummah is better and nobler and more honorable than Bani Israel and then they turn away, meaning we turn away, then surely it stands to reason that our punishment and humiliation will be far worse than Bani Israel. Because Allah Azza wa praises them, they turn away, Allah humiliates them. Allah tells us we are better than them, then surely that means that we should be greater in terms of following the guidance that we have and if we don't, then it stands to reason that Allah will humiliate us in a greater way. And that is a very beautiful contemplation from him. Rahimahullah ta'ala. وَاسْأَلْ مَنْ أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رُسُلِنَا أَجْعَلْنَا مِنْ دُونِ الرَّحْمَانِ آلِهَةً يُعْبَدُونَ Ask those we sent before you as our messengers. Have we ever designated any gods to be worshipped besides the All-Merciful? It's said that this is to be taken literally, since the messengers were gathered together with him on his night journey. It is also said that what is meant are the communities, the people of the two previous scriptures. He did not actually ask anyone according to either view. What is meant by the command to ask is to tell the idolaters of Quraysh that no messenger from Allah and no book has brought the worship of anything other than Allah. And as you can see in verse number 45, there are two positions. وَاسْأَلْ مَنْ أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رُسُلِنَا Ask those we sent before you of our messengers. How does the Prophet ﷺ, how is he meant to ask them? Who is he meant to ask? One of the, some of the scholars such as Sa'id ibn Jubayr rahimahullah ta'ala and Zuhri from the scholars of the past said, meaning on the night of Isra, when you are gathered with the prophets on the night journey the Prophet ﷺ had from Mecca to Jerusalem to the heavens because one of the things that Allah did for him on that night journey is that when he came to Jerusalem, all of the prophets were gathered and they all gathered together and they would pray together. And Jibreel said to Muhammad وسلم, they are waiting for you to lead them. You will be the Imam. So the Prophet led them in Salah. That is one meaning. It was at that point that he was meant to ask them. That is the meaning. The other one, the one that is chosen by Imam al-Tabari, Rahimullah ibn al-Qayyim, Rahimullah and others, is the second review that al-Mahalli mentions. And that the meaning is, ask those to whom we sent messengers before. Not the messengers themselves, but their nations and their followers ask them, do you find in your scriptures the command that those prophets ever commanded you to worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مُوسَى بِآيَاتِنَا إِلَى فِرْعَوْنَ وَمَلَئِهِ فَقَالَ إِنِّي رَسُولُ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ We sent Musa with our signs to Pharaoh and his nobles, meaning the Copts. He said, I am the messenger of the Lord of the worlds. فَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ بِآيَاتِنَا إِذَا هُمْ مِنْهَا يَضْحَكُونَ But when he came to them with our signs, which proved that he was a messenger, they merely laughed at them. وَمَا نُرِيهِمْ مِنْ آيَةٍ إِلَّا هِيَ أَكْبَرُ مِنْ أُخْتِهَا We showed them no sign of punishment, such as the flood which entered their houses, submerging those who were sitting down up to their necks for seven days, and the locusts, that was not greater than the one before it. We seized them with punishment so that perhaps they would turn back from unbelief. Allah says in verse 48, وَمَا نُرِيهِ مِنْ آيَةٍ إِلَّا هِيَ أَكْبَرُ مِنْ أُخْتِهَا 
We never sent them a sign meaning to the people of Musa السلام, to Pharaoh and his people except that the one that came after it was greater than it. Meaning that Allah just sent them in stages. Each one gets progressively worse for them. And that is a new tafsir in the story of Musa السلام, that we haven't had before. Allah has mentioned the signs, the nine signs and so on. But now Allah gives us this information or this new added commentary to the signs of Musa and his miracles and that is that they progressively got worse. So each one is worse than the one that comes, or each one is less than the one that will come after. And the one that comes after is worse than the one that came before. They said to Musa when they saw the punishment, magician. The word for magician means one with complete knowledge, because they consider magic to be a great knowledge. Invoke your Lord for us by the contract He has made with you to remove the punishment from us if we believe. And we shall certainly follow the guidance and believe. In verse 14, Allah says, They said, O Sahir, call upon your Lord for us by the contract He has made with you. Meaning, make dua to Allah. Ta'ala mentions the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir such as Imam Al-Tabri and others, that the word Sahir here doesn't mean magician, but he means, O oh, possessor of knowledge, O oh, knowledgeable one. That is the meaning of Sahir here. Even though the literal meaning of the word Sahir means magician, the correct understanding and translation of the word Sahir here is, O oh, possessor of knowledge, as Al-Mahalli mentions in his, in his tafsir. And that is because here they are no longer ridiculing Musa salam. This is not at the beginning when they're humiliating him, ridiculing him, making fun of him, dismissing him. Now it is after all of these signs have come and they have suffered great harm, the people of Pharaoh. Now they come to him and say, just ask your Lord to stop this, we will free you and send Bani Israel with you. So now the position and station is not one of mockery, but it is one of respect and reverence. It is one in which they come and ask for need and help. And so the word sahir here means, O possessor of knowledge. And as Mahali says, they use the word sahir because amongst them, that is the greatest representation of knowledge amongst them. They were people who loved sorcery and magic. And the sorcerers amongst them were the most, the elite of their society in terms of the educated and the learned. So they say sahir, not in the literal sense, but in terms of what it represents. And that is the knowledge that the people had. And so that is important to understand because it is the context of the verses as the scholars of tafsir mention that give us that meaning. But when we removed the punishment from them through the supplication of Musa, they immediately broke their word, broke their agreement and persisted in their unbelief. Pharaoh called to his people in arrogant boastfulness, saying, My people, does the kingdom of Egypt not belong to me? Do not all these rivers, referring to branches of the Nile, flow under my palaces, under my control? Do you not then see my might? Do you not see? Am I not better than this man, meaning Musa, who is contemptible, weak and servile, and can scarcely make anything clear? In other words, cannot speak clearly because of the injury which occurred to his tongue, caused by a hot ember when he was a child. In this verse, verse 52, Allah Azzawajal says that Pharaoh said, Am I not better than this man who is contemptible? 
and can scarcely make anything clear, can barely speak, can barely make himself understood. And that is as we mentioned before the story that Al-Mahali mentions about the hot ember that Musa as a baby, as a child, he ate the hot ember, the hot coal, when he was given the choice between that and between something else. That is as we said before, Allah knows best about its authenticity, but it is a common story that is mentioned in his life alayhi salam. The meaning here of this verse then is that when Musa makes dua to Allah Azza wa Jal, as mentioned in Surah Taha, when he says, Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yassirli amri wahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli I know Allah untie the knot in my tongue so that my speech can be understood. Either that Allah Azza wa Jal removed all of it, meaning the impediment that he had in his speech alayhi salam. So the meaning of this verse then is that Pharaoh makes fun of Musa about the way he used to speak. And he's remediating him based upon the impediment that used to be with him. Or the meaning of the verse and the dua in Surah Taha is, Oh Allah, remove from me enough so that my, my speech can be understood. Meaning not all of it, but just enough so that I can be understood. In which case, Pharaoh is saying to him, you can barely be understood. Meaning that I understand you, but you still have this impediment and that is another means of him making fun of Musa alayhi salam. And we mentioned this before, that Allah azza wa jal favored and honored the Prophet Musa alayhi salam despite the impediment that he has, showing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't look at a person's disabilities or their impediments or those types of disadvantages that other people may use as a standard amongst them. Why have gold bracelets not been put upon his arms? If he is speaking the truth, since it was a custom of men at the time to wear gold bracelets and necklaces. And why is there not a train of angels accompanying him? Meaning successive ranks of angels which attest to his truthfulness. In that way, he, meaning Pharaoh, swayed his people. And they succumbed to him, and they did what he wanted, and denied Musa. They were a people of deviators. Then, when they had provoked our wrath, we took revenge on them, and drowned every one of them. We made them a thing of the past, an example for later peoples. They were a lesson for those after them, so that they should not do the same as those before them did. When an example is made of the son of Maryam, your people, meaning the idolaters, laugh uproariously at what they hear. When Allah revealed you and what you worship apart from Allah a fuel for Jahannam, the idolaters said, we are content that our God should be with Isa because he was worshipped instead of Allah. In verse number 57, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَمَّا ضُرِبَ بْنُ مَرْيَمَ مَثَلًا When we made the example of the son of Maryam, meaning Isa alayhi salatu wassalam, إِذَا قَوْمُكَ مِنْهُ يَصِدُّونَ Your people laugh uproariously. This is the same tafsir that we mentioned before about the story of Ibn Zibara that is mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad that we mentioned at the end of Surah Al-Anbiya. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ سَبَقَتْ لَهُمْ مِنَّ الْحُسْنَى أُولَٰئِكَ عَنْهَا مُبْعَدُونَ That they said, that the Prophet said to the Quraysh that anything that is worshipped besides Allah, there is no good in it. So then they became happy and they said, but you claim 
there's no word or anything worship besides Allah, but then there's Christians worship Isa السلام, and you claim that Isa was an honorable person, a good person, a prophet of Allah. So they sought to make a contradiction in their claims. That is the meaning of this verse. It is referring to the same incident. And that is why Allah revealed in Surah Al-Anbiya, those that we have already decreed good for, they will be from those people that Allah will reward. Meaning that they are exempt from that because they never called to that worship. It is others who made them into or made them uh, gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They retort, who is better than our gods or him? Meaning Isa. We are content that our gods should be compared to him. They only say this to you for argument's sake. They are arguing knowingly using false premises since they know that their idols have no intelligence and so are nothing like Isa, peace be upon him. They are indeed a strongly disputatious people. He, meaning Isa, is only a slave on whom we bestowed our blessing, meaning the gift of prophethood. And whom we made an example by his coming into existence without a father for the tribe of Israel. Because the unusual nature of his birth is evidence of Allah's power to do whatever he wills. If we wished, we could appoint angels in exchange for you and replace you to succeed you on the earth by destroying you. He, meaning Isa, is a sign of the last hour because he will descend then. Have no doubt about it, meaning the hour. Tell them, but follow me in affirming the unity of Allah. This, which I command you to do, is a, is a straight path. In verse 61, Allah says, He, meaning the Prophet Isa, والسلام, is a sign of the last hour. And that is the majority of the pain of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. That the word ilm here, which usually means knowledge, means sign. And it's referring to Isa السلام, that he will be from the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And that is because a sign is meant to give knowledge. And so sometimes the word sign is used in, or the word knowledge is used for a sign because the whole purpose of the sign is to impart knowledge. And what supports this position is the peculiar reading, the Qira'a Shada, that is mentioned from a number of the companions that they would say, وَإِنَّهُ لَعَلَمٌ لِلسَّاعَةِ And it is the Qira'a Shada, but the Qira'a Shada is a type of tafsir. And that is that they would say that he is a sign, a symbol. لَعَلَمٌ لِلسَّاعَةِ And Allah knows best. وَلَا يَصُدَّنَّكُمُ الشَّيْطَانِ Do not let shaytan by your way, meaning turn you from the deen of Allah. إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ مُّبِينَ He truly is an outright clear enemy to you. وَلَمَّا جَاءَ عِيسَى بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ قَالَ قَدْ جِئْتُكُمْ بِالْحِكْمَةِ And when Isa came with the clear signs, here meaning miracles and laws, he said, I have come to you with wisdom, meaning prophethood and the laws of the gospel. And to clarify for you some of the things about which you have differed, regarding some of the rulings of the Torah about the deen and other matters. Therefore, be fearful of Allah and obey me. Inna Allah huwa Rabbi wa Rabbukum 
Allah is my Lord and your Lord, so worship Him. This is a straight path. The various factions among them differed about Isa and whether he was God, the Son of God, or part of the Trinity. Woe, meaning punishment, then to those who did wrong by disbelieving, as is shown by what they said about Isa, on account of the punishment of a painful day. What are they, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, waiting for, but the last hour to come upon them suddenly when they are not expecting it to arrive? On that day, the closest friends, meaning people who are friends in disobedience to Allah in this world, will be enemies to one another on the day of resurrection, except for those who are God-fearing, those who loved one another in Allah and in obedience to Him. They will be friends and the following will be said to them. يَا عِبَادِ لَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْكُمُ الْيَوْمَ وَلَا أَنْتُمْ تَحْزَنُونَ My slaves, you will feel no fear today. You will know no sorrow. In verse 67, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the verse about the closest friends. And this is a tafsir that we already gave previously in Surah Al-Furqan, which Allah Azza wa said, وَيَوْمَ يَعَضُّ الظَّالِمُ عَلَى يَدَيْهِ يَقُولُ يَا لَيْتَنِ اتَّخَذْتُ مَعَ الرَّسُولِ سَبِيلًا that a person on Yom Al-Qiyamah will come with the best of their friends that they had in the dunya they will become enemies one to another each one will blame the other for misguiding them and Allah Azza wa says that those types of friendships will not last on Yom Al-Qiyamah except for the friendship that is based upon taqwa meaning there is a friendship in which you mutually help one another to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is based upon taqwa that is what will last on Yom Al-Qiyamah in verse 68, my slaves, you will feel no fear today, nor will you know any sorrow. And the author Taala doesn't give a tafsir here because the tafsir of it has already previously come. And that's a one-known methodology amongst the scholars of tafsir that if something's been mentioned once, you don't have to repeat it constantly. So we said the meaning of la khawfun alaykum, there is no fear for you as to what will come after death. Wala antum nor do you have to have any sorrow or worry about what you leave behind from your family and your children. Or the other tafsir that there is no fear for you as to what comes ahead, meaning the good deeds that you have done have been preserved for you and their reward. Nor do you have to have any sorrow as to what you have left behind you, meaning in terms of sins, because Allah Azza wa will forgive them. And this is a one-known methodology, and it's the same in our tafsir that we don't have to keep repeating the same stuff over and over again because a student of knowledge should be able to connect those dots and make those connections. And that's why at the beginning of the surahs Hamim, Ain, Qaf, a number of times you already mentioned the correct understanding of the tafsir. So it doesn't have to be repeated. And one of the things that the scholars of the past used to do in order to test their students is that they would do things like this, where they would suffice with one explanation and not repeat it again. And then test their students to see if they could make those connections. And that is why from the beautiful ways of making tafsir that you find in amongst the scholars, Ibn Kathir, Ibn Qayyim and others, is that they're connecting verses with other verses in the Qur'an. Because that is how knowledge is taken. That you connect things with other things. And it's said in that regard that Imam Muslim, rahimahullah ta'ala, often in his sahih when mentioning the names of narrators, or a number of times anyway, if not often, he doesn't mention the full name. But sometimes he will refer to the narrator by his kunya, and sometimes by his name, and sometimes by the name of his father. And Ibn 
Al-Imam Nawawi and others in the explanation said that is his way of testing the reader and his students. Do they understand who it is? From them is the narrator, the student of the companion from the scholars of the Tabi'een, Abu Duha, Muslim ibn Subayh. Sometimes he calls him Abu Duha, sometimes Muslim ibn Subayh, sometimes ibn Subayh. He calls him different things and is referring to the same narrator. But the one who doesn't know thinks that it is three separate different people. And that is how they used to seek that knowledge. Because knowledge is not just about making notes, not just about copying and pasting, it's not just about attending. But it is about the understanding that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to you, that it comes from making dua to Allah, and then a great deal of time and effort and revision, and going through those books and understanding, and being attentive in what is being said, and what you're reading, and what you're understanding. And that's why when Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhum, I was asked, Oh Abdullah, how did you become a scholar? that you became more senior to many of the companions who were older than you in age, more senior than you, in terms of how long they spent with the Prophet ﷺ. He replied on the Allah and said, He said, because I had an attentive heart, and I was someone who asked pertinent questions. That is knowledge. Asking questions when you need to understand the connection, when you see something in a verse that doesn't go against what the norm is in the Qur'an, or there's something extra or something missing, and so you ask and you find out. And then you are attentive in your understanding and making those connections. And we ask Allah Azza wa to make us from those people. As for those who believed in our signs, believed in the Qur'an and became Muslims, that's a mistranslation. Verse 69, Those who believe, my slaves, you will feel no fear today, you will know no sorrow. This is a description of them. 69, they are those who believe in our signs and are Muslims. There is no as for those. It is not a question, but a statement that is a, a continuation of verse 68. أُدْخُلُوا الْجَنَّةَ أَنْتُمْ وَأَزْوَاجُكُمْ تُحْبَرُونَ Enter the garden, you and your wives, delighting in your joy. يُطَافُ عَلَيْهِمْ بِصِحَافٍ مِّنْ ذَهَبٍ وَأَكْوَابٍ Platters and cups. The word for cups, akwab, means drinking vessels without handles, such that those who drink from them may do so from any side they wish, of gold, will be passed around among them. وَفِيهَا مَا تَشْتَهِيهِ الْأَنفُسُ وَتَلَذُّ الْأَعْيُنِ And they will have there all that their hearts desire, and their eyes find delight in. وَأَنْتُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ You will remain in it timelessly forever. وَتِلْكَ الْجَنَّةُ الَّتِي أُورِثْتُمُوهَا بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ That is a garden you will inherit for what you did. لَكُمْ فِيهَا فَاكِهَةٌ كَثِيرَةٌ مِّنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ There will be many varieties of fruits in it for you to eat. إِنَّ الْمُجْرِمِينَ فِي عَذَابِ جَهَنَّمَ خَالِدُونَ The evildoers will remain timelessly forever in the punishment of hell. لَا يُفَتَّرُ عَنْهُمْ It will not be eased for them. وَهُمْ فِيهِ مُبْرِسُونَ They will be crushed there by despair. They will be dumb with despair. وَمَا ظَلَمْنَاهُمْ وَلَكِنْ كَانُوا الظَّالِمِينَ We have not wronged them, it was they who were wrongdoers. وَنَادَوْ يَا مَالِكُ لِيَقْضِ عَلَيْنَا رَبُّكَ They will call out, Malik, the angel in charge of the fire, let your Lord put an end to us and allow us to die. قَالَ إِنَّكُمْ مَاكِثُونَ He, meaning Malik, will say, 
after a thousand years have passed, you will stay the way you are, forever in the punishment. In verse 77, the author Ta'ala, says that the response of Malik, the guardian or the gatekeeper of hell, will come after a thousand years. And I don't know that that is an authentic hadith of the Prophet wasallam, but that is a tafsir that he has made, and Allah knows best. لقد جئناكم بالحق ولكن أكثركم للحق كارهون. Allah says, we brought you the truth, people of Mecca, on the tongue of the Messenger, صلى الله عليه وسلم. But most of you hated the truth. أم أبرموا أمرا. Or have they, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, hatched a plot against the Prophet Muhammad, صلى الله عليه وسلم. فإن مبرمون. It is we who are the plotter and will contrive their destruction. أَمْ يَحْسَبُونَ أَنَّا لَا نَسْمَعُ سِرَّهُمْ وَنَجْوَاهُمْ Or, do they imagine that we do not hear their secrets and their private talk? Their, sec- their secrets are what they confide to others, and their private talk is what they say among themselves. بَلَا وَرُسُلُنَا لَدَيْهِمْ يَكْتُبُونَ On the contrary, our messengers, meaning the angels who record the actions, are right there with them, writing it down. قُلْ إِنْ كَانَ لِلرَّحْمَانِ وَلَدٌ فَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْعَابِدِينَ Say, if the All-Merciful had a son, I would be the first to worship him. It is not true, and it is confirmed that he has no child, and hence no one else is worthy of worship. In verse 81, Allah Azza wa Jal says, قُلْ إِنْ كَانَ لِلرَّحْمَانِ وَلَدٌ فَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْعَابِدِينَ Say, if the All-Merciful had a son, I would be the first to worship him. And the scholars, rahimahumullah of tafsir, have a number of Tafasir, and they have a long discussion concerning this verse as to what is the meaning. And essentially it comes to down to one thing. And that is the word, the meaning of the word in, in this verse. قُلْ إِنْ كَانَ لِلرَّحْمَانِ The word in, what is its function in this verse? Those from amongst them who said that it is a condition, it is a conditional in, meaning that it is a, it is, uh, it is the meaning if Allah were to have a child, then I would be from those who worshipped either the child because Allah commands us to do so or I will still worship Allah because he is the one who is still worthy of worship or whatever it may be, they have different tafasir. That is the position chosen by Imam Al-Tabari that the word in is conditional and therefore as Al-Mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala has given his tafsir and as the translation says if Allah were to have a child I would be the first to worship him. That's the first tafsir. The second tafsir is the one that is chosen by Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala and that is that the word in is nafia it is to negate from Allah azza wa jal Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have a child and I am the first to worship him meaning Allah azza wa jal and so he gives you a completely different tafsir than the first one the in is to negate the child from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore I am meaning the Prophet should say I am the one from amongst the foremost to worship Allah Azza wa Jal. And those are two different tafsirs. Then, Imam uh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir, al-Mayan, goes through a very long discussion as to why it is a negation, another condition based upon the language of the Arabs and their poetry and their literature. And clearly that's something which is for this time and place. But the point is that both of them are well-known positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. And in either case, the meaning is still the same. Is not to affirm to Allah Azza wa Jal a child or a partner, subhanahu wa ta'ala, but rather it is either a hypothetical situation or it is to negate it from Allah Azza wa Jal completely. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Subhana Rabbi Samawati wal Abdi Rabbi Al Aushi Anna Yasifun. 
Glory be to the Lord of the heavens and the earth, the Lord of the throne beyond what they describe, the lies they tell when they ascribe a child to him. So leave them to plunge in their falsehoods and play around in this world until they meet their day, meaning the day of rising, which they are promised, when the punishment will take place. It is he who is God, the one who is worshipped in heaven and God on earth. He is the all-wise in managing his creation, the all-knowing of the best interests of his creatures. In verse 84, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is the one who is worthy of all worship in the heavens and the one worthy of all worship on earth. Meaning that he is the one, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the Quraysh used to say that they have different gods on earth and a different one in the heavens. Allah Azza is one and the same, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the meaning of this verse is not, as some of the other people say, a complete misinterpretation of this verse. That the meaning is that Allah is the one who is present in the heavens, He is present on earth. Instead of ma'bud, they say mawjud. That Allah is the one who is present in the heavens and the earth to show that Allah is not above His throne. They use this as an evidence to show that Allah is not above His throne, that Allah is everywhere. That is a tafsir that none of the scholars of the Salaf ever had. You will never find this in the early works of tafsir or in the main works of tafsir. It's not even a tafsir that they considered because it is not understood the word ilah wa huwa ilah. The word ilah is one who is worshipped. Ilah never means present. It means one worthy of worship and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the misinterpretation or the misusage of this verse comes from a lack of knowledge of tafsir and what the scholars of tafsir did and said. And that is the problem of our time when people don't understand the book of Allah nor do they know how to go back to those early works of tafsir and then they come and they misuse the statements of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to prove things that Allah is free from subhanahu wa ta'ala. Blessed be him to whom belongs the sovereignty of the heavens and the earth and everything in between them. The knowledge of when the hour will come is with him. You will be returned. Read as and also they will be returned to him. Those who call upon and worship apart from him, referring to the unbelievers, possess no power of intercession for anyone. Only those who bore witness to the truth by saying there is no God but Allah and have full knowledge in their hearts of what their tongues attest to. This means Isa, Uzair and the angels. They will intercede for the believers. If you ask them who created them, they will say Allah. So how have they been perverted, meaning turned away from worshipping Allah? And as for your words, meaning the words of Muhammad, the Prophet وسلم, My Lord, these are people who do not believe. In verse 88, Allah says, And as for your words, the word means the complaint that the Prophet made to Allah It means that he complained to Allah concerning his people that they disbelieved. That is the meaning. Yeah. 
Allah says, turn from them and say peace from us. This was before the command to fight them. They will soon come to know. Read as Ya'lamun and also Ta'lamun. You will come to know. And as we said before in verse 89, when the author Ta'ala says that this was before the command to fight them, it is not an abrogation. This verse is not abrogated, but that it is still applicable and that the Muslim ruler can still have peace treaties with others and he can still choose to, to enter into those types of negotiations and have good relations and so on. It is something which is which is applicable. And to make all of these verses, and there are many of them in the Quran, all abrogated by the verses of fighting, is not the position of many of the scholars of tafsir, because then a great number of those verses no longer uh, have any meaning. They become defunct in terms of their rulings. Surah Al-Dukhan, smoke. This surah is Meccan except for Ayah 15. It has 56, 57, or 59 ayat. So this is the 44th surah of the Quran, and that is Surah Al-Dukhan. And the word Dukhan means smoke. It means smoke. And it is a Makki surah, according to the vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir, to the extent that Ibn Atiyah and Al-Qurtumi said it is by consensus amongst the scholars of Tafsir. And Allah knows best. But as you can see, there are some who said that there is a difference of opinion. It is 59 verses, according to the reading of our Mus'haf, and from the names of this surah also, therefore, as we've had previously, is Hamim al-Dukhan. As mentioned in al-Bukhari and by Imam al-Tirmidhi in his Jami' and others, Hamim al-Dukhan is another name that it is also known by. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Hamim. Allah knows best what is meant by this. By the book, meaning the Quran, which makes things clear. Makes clear what is lawful and unlawful. We sent it down on a blessed night, a reference to the night of power or the night of the middle of Sha'ban, during which the mother of the book descended from the seventh heaven to the lowest heaven. We are constantly giving warning by it. In verse number 3, the author Allah, says, Because it, we descended it, or we sent it down on a blessed night. He says, either Laylatul Qadr, or the middle night of Sha'ban, the 15th of Sha'ban. The position of it being the 15th of Sha'ban is a, a minority opinion. It's reported that Iqlima, Allah Ta'ala, said it. But the vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir say that it is the first position that he mentions, and that is that it is Laylatul Qadr. And that is because that is what the Quran itself mentions. Allah says, It is a blessed night. But as well, Allah defines the blessed night as being Laylatul Qadr. We revealed it on Laylatul Qadr. And Allah Azza wa Jal tells us elsewhere in the Quran even more explicitly, Quran. It is the month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed. So therefore, when you bring those verses together, the blessed night in Surah Dukhan here is explained by the verse in Al-Baqarah and by the verse in Surah Al-Qadr. And so the position of the vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir and what the Qur'an itself explicitly states is that the Qur'an was revealed in Laylatul Qadr. And the Prophet told us وسلم, in the authentic hadith that all of Allah's divine scriptures that we know of them by names, all of them were revealed in the month of Ramadan. The Psalms, the Torah, the Gospel and the Quran, all of them were revealed in the month of Ramadan which is to show again one of the virtues of this blessed month that we are currently in.
During it, meaning the night referred to above, every wise decree is specified. It specifies everything that is determined with respect to provision, length of life, and other similar things for the coming year. And that is the one known understanding of this night. During it, every wise decree is specified. And that is the position Ibn Kathir Ta'ala chose and others. And it is said that is the reason why it is called Laylatul Qadr. To refer to the night of decree, meaning the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is that Allah Azza wa Jal chooses on this night to send down the decree for the year from the Lawh al-Mahfur. Everything is written and preserved in the preserved tablet, the Lawh al-Mahfur. When does it come down to earth? It comes down every year on Laylatul Qadr, for the coming year. And that is why that night is an amazing night and it is a night upon which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes the angels to descend and it is a night worth a thousand months in terms of its worship. By a specifying command from our presence. We are constantly sending out messengers, meaning Muhammad and those before him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As a mercy from your Lord. He's the all-hearing of their words, the all-knowing of their actions. The Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything in between them. If you, meaning people of Mecca, are people with certainty that Allah is the Lord of the heavens and the earth and that Muhammad is his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. لا إله إلا هو يحيي ويميت ربكم ورب آبائكم الأولين There is no God but Him. He gives life and causes to die. Your Lord and the Lord of your forefathers, the previous peoples. بل هم في شك يلعبون Yet they play around in doubt about the resurrection. Mocking you, Muhammad wasallam. He said, O oh Allah, help me against them with the seven, like the seven of Yusuf. Allah says, So be on the watch for a day when heaven brings forth a distinctive smoke. When there is a drought in the land and they are so hungry that they see something like smoke between the heaven and the earth. In verse number 10, Allah says, Be out or be on the watch for a day when the heavens bring forth a distinctive smoke. This is the verse that the scholars of Tafsir differed over greatly. And as the author Ta'ala chose here one position that it is referring to the drought in the time of the Prophet. And that is because when Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was asked concerning this verse, the Dukhan, the Dukhan in the Sharia comes with a number of meanings. One of them is drought and famine. The other one is the sign of the day of judgment, the smoke. The Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, count ten before the sign, before Yomul Qiyamah. And from those ten, he said the Dukhan, the smoke. So the scholars differed as to what is being referred to here in this verse. When Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu was asked about this and he said, oh, oh Abdullah, is it referring to the sign of the hour, mean the Dukhan? Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu dismissed this. And he said, no. And Ibn Mas'ud, as we know, is from the earliest companions, from the most knowledgeable of the companions and from the most senior of them radiyallahu an to the extent that when in the time of Ali radiyallahu an people would come to him from where Ibn Mas'ud used to live and ask him questions he would say how can you come and ask me when you have Abdullah ibn Mas'ud amongst you 
and the Prophet ﷺ who also ever wishes to read the Qur'an as it was revealed, then let him take the recitation of Ibn Ummi Abd, meaning Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu And that is his position radiallahu Ibn Mas'ud said that I don't know of anyone more knowledgeable about the Book of Allah than me, more knowledgeable than me about the Book of Allah. And if I were to know who they were, I would travel to the ends of the earth to meet them. And that is his position radiallahu When he was asked concerning this and the, and the narration is in Sahih al-Bukhari, he said, no, it doesn't refer to the sign of Yawm al-Qiyamah, but it refers to when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and this hadith is also in al-Bukhari, that the Prophet sallallahu would make dua in his qunut, meaning in the Fajr prayer after he got up from Rukur, he would make qunut and he would make dua against the Quraysh and say, oh Allah, send upon them the years like the years of Yusuf, meaning the seven years of drought that we covered in the story of Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam. So Ibn Mas'ud says that the Prophet ﷺ would make that dua. And then, when he's making that dua, the drought and famine was so severe that one of us would walk out and we would see smoke, as if there was smoke between us and the heavens, between the ground and the heavens, meaning from the sandstorms. The sand has been whipped up into the sky and into the horizon that it looks like there is a veil of smoke. That's what he's referring to. And then he said, until it became so difficult that the Quraysh came and said to the Prophet ﷺ, make dua for us, ask Allah to send that rain for us. So when they asked him to do so, the Prophet ﷺ did so, and Allah gave them relief. Ibn Mas'ud said, this is what the smoke is referring to. And that is one position amongst the scholars of tafsir, that the dukhan that is being mentioned and referred to here is that dukhan, that is being referred to a reference in the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud in Sahih al-Bukhari. The second position amongst the scholars of tafsir is the one that Ibn Kathir seems to lean towards. And that is that the Dukhan is the sign of the hour that is being referred to. Let them keep a watch out for the day that the Dukhan will come. And he says, why? Because Allah says, as if it's something that will happen. The story of Ibn Mas'ud takes place already. He's already mentioned it's taken place. This is now something else that will happen in the future. And that is the Dukhan that will come towards the end of time. And Allah knows best, even though there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars then, is the Dukhan that is being mentioned in the hadith of the signs of the hour the same as the one that is mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud? Or are they two different ones, two distinct ones, and both are positions amongst the scholars? Some of them said it is one and the same. Another said no, because the Prophet said, count those ten and those ten are from the major signs, and the major signs only come towards the very end, towards Yawm Al-Qiyamah itself. And Allah Azza wa knows best. The third opinion amongst the scholars of Islam then is the position that was taken by the likes of an Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah, in which he took the middle ground. And he said that the Dukhan refers to both. It refers to what took place in the time of the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud and it refers to the other hadith that is also authentic that speaks about the Dukhan coming at the end of time. So Imam al-Shawkani reconciled, combined and took the middle position and that is inshallah ta'ala a good position to have and Allah knows best. Which enshrouds mankind. They said, this is a painful punishment. Our Lord, remove the punishment from us. We are really believers in your Prophet. Allah says, how can they expect a reminder when a clear messenger has already come to them? Belief will not help them after the punishment descends when a messenger who made things clear has come to them. ثُمَّ تَوَلَّوْا عَنْهُ وَقَالُوا مُعَلَّمٌ مَجْنُونَ 
But then they turned away from him and said, he is an instructed madman. They said that another human being had taught him the Qur'an. We remove the punishment, meaning hunger, a little, for a short period, and you revert to unbelief. Remember that on the day we launch the great assault, a reference to the coming battle of Badr, we will certainly take our revenge in the form of force and punishment. So as you can see in these verses, carrying on from verse 10, Al-Mahali rahimahullah ta'ala, because he chose the position that the Dukhan refers to what Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said, he makes tafsir continuing in the same way. So for example in verse 15 he says that the punishment that's being removed is the hunger, meaning the drought and famine that they experienced. And therefore then in verse 16, the Bhatshat al-Kubra, the great assault, the great battle, refers to the battle of Badr. Because he's still making tafsir of it in the realm or in the context of the time of the Prophet On the other position of Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala, that it is concerning the sign of Yawmul Qiyamah, then these verses concern that, remove the punishment slightly from us, meaning from that dukhan that will come at the end of time. kubra On the day that you will see the great assault, meaning Yawmul Qiyamah. Not the Battle of Badr, but now the Day of Judgment. And so depending on which tafsir that you have, which basis that you have, you make tafsir accordingly. And that is an important methodology to remember in making tafsir. That if you choose a position amongst the scholars of tafsir, what they do is they continue to make tafsir with the related verses according to the same methodology. You can't just swap and change and, and, and do as you please them. You stick to that or unless you take the position of reconciliation between those opinions and you combine between them. وَلَقَدْ فَتَنَّا قَبْلَهُمْ قَوْمَ فِرْعَوْنَ وَجَاءَهُمْ رَسُولٌ كَرِيمٌ Before them, we put Pharaoh's people to the test when a noble messenger, meaning Musa, peace be upon him, came to them saying, أَنْ أَدُّوا إِلَيَّ عِبَادَ اللَّهِ Hand over to me the slaves of Allah. It is also said that this means, give me the faith to which I summon you. In other words, show your faith in me. إِنِّي لَكُمْ رَسُولٌ أَمِينٌ I am a trustworthy messenger to you. And do not exalt yourselves above Allah. Do not show arrogance by not obeying Allah. I come to you with clear authority, clear evidence of my message. Then they, thre- then they threaten to stone him. He said, I have sought refuge with my Lord and your Lord against your stoning me. And verse 20 is another example of a tafsir that we've already given a number of places. And that is when you have prophets in whose stories it is not known that they were stoned. Then one of the meanings of that stoning, as amongst the scholars, some of the scholars of tafsir, is that it means a stoning of words and not of rocks and stones. So the meaning of the word stoning then is by cursing and swearing at them. And that is one of the tafsirs that is also given for this verse, verse number 20. If you do not believe in me, then at least leave me alone and stop harming me. But they did not leave him alone. He called out to his Lord, these are evil doing people, meaning idolaters. Allah said, then set out with my slaves, meaning the tribe of Israel, by night. He will certainly be pursued by Pharaoh and his people. Leave the sea divided as it is, still and open. 
when you and your companions pass through it so that the cops will enter it. They are an army will be drowned. Be assured of that. They were, they were indeed drowned. How many gardens and fountains they left behind. And ripe crops and noble residences. <coughs> what comfort and ease they had delighted in. They enjoyed many blessings. So it was. Yet we bequeath these things, their forms of wealth, to another people, meaning the tribe of Israel. Neither heaven nor earth shed any tears for them. This is not the case with the believers. When they died, they are wept for by the place where they prayed on earth and by the place where their actions rose in heaven. And they were granted no reprieve, a delay to enable them to repent. In verse number 29, Allah Azza wa says concerning the people of Pharaoh and similar nations to them that Allah destroyed. The earth and the heavens didn't miss them. And the meaning that is correct in this tafsir, Allah Azza wa knows best about what the author is mentioning, but that when the disbelieving, evil, corrupt person dies, the earth and the heavens rejoice from being free from their evil and their corruption. And that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they do not cry over their death, don't shed tears over them. And that is why the Prophet used to say about the deceased that hasten in their burial. Because either they will go towards something which is better for them, meaning if they are believers they will go to a reward that is better for them. Or if they were evil, it is a burden that you lift off your shoulders. Meaning that you bury them. Better for you that you bury them and lift off that burden from your shoulders. So that is a meaning that we find within the Quran and the Sunnah and how many people think that in their whole lives that they will leave a legacy that people will cry over once they pass away but they leave nothing that they will be remembered by except those that leave behind righteous deeds and actions that people will benefit from and a sadaqah that people will benefit from and a knowledge that is beneficial. We rescued the tribe of Israel from the humiliating punishment, which took the form of killing their sons and letting their women live. Min from punishment by Pharaoh. He was haughty, one of the profligate. We chose them, meaning the tribe of Israel, knowingly, with full knowledge of their circumstances, above all other people of their time. And we gave him signs containing a clear trial, clear blessings in the parting of the sea, the manna and quail and other things. These people, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, say, There is nothing more than our first death. There is no life after death except for being alive after being sperm. We will not be raised up a second time after dying. Bring us our fathers alive if you're telling the truth about being resurrected after death. Allah says, are they better or the people of Tubba? who was either a prophet or a righteous man, and those nations before them who were destroyed on account of their unbelief. They are not stronger than their predecessors who were destroyed. 
They were certainly evildoers. In verse 37, Allah says, Are they better or the people of Tubba? The scholars differ greatly as to who Tubba is and what it refers to. And some of them said, It is the name of certain kings and leaders in Yemen. And Allah knows best. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the word Tubba in a couple of places in the Quran, but doesn't go into detail. And the Prophet doesn't speak about them in detail. And that's why the scholars differ. Is Tubba or was Tubba? A prophet of Allah, or was he a righteous man? And there's a narration in the hadith that says that the Prophet ﷺ, it is reported that he said, I don't know if Tubba' was a righteous man or a prophet. But I don't remember now from the top of my head if that hadith is authentic or not. But the point is here that the scholars differ, and that is because we don't have any uh, real understanding of who this man was and what is being referred to. And Allah Azza knows best. وَمَا خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا لَاعِبِينَ We did not create the heavens and the earth and everything between them as a game. مَا خَلَقْنَاهُمَا إِلَّا بِالْحَقَّ We did not create them and what is between them except with truth. And we were true in accomplishing that. So that it provides evidence of our power and oneness and other things. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ But most of them, including the unbelievers of Mecca, do not know it. The day of decision, another name for the day of rising, on which Allah will render judgment between his slaves, will be, a, will be their appointment altogether for everlasting punishment. The day when friends will be of no use at all to one another, and no kinship or friendship will be of any use against the punishment. And they will not be helped against it. Except for those Allah has mercy on Meaning believers who may intercede for one another by Allah's permission He is the Almighty and so able to take his revenge on the unbelievers The most merciful to the believers And this is another example of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using in verse 42 Alongside the name of mercy, the name of Al-Aziz Power and strength and might And that is as we said before that Allah Azza wa Jal, when He forgives and shows mercy, it is from a position of strength and not from one of weakness. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a number of places in the Quran combines between these two names of His subhanahu wa ta'ala. The tree of the zakum, the foulest tree which Allah makes grow in hellfire. Ta'amul is the food of the wicked, among them who are Abu Jahl and his companions, who are full of immense wrong actions. Seething, read as Yaguli and Tabuli in the belly like molten brass, looking like the dregs of black oil. In verse 45, Allah says, The majority of the scholars in their, in their definition or in the tafsir of the word Al Muhl do not say that it is like molten brass, but they use what the author said in his tafsir, and that is that it refers to the filth of the oil. The oil, the very filthy remnants of oil that is all filth and that has been boiled, that is what is al-muhl. That is what is being referred to. As boiling water bubbles and seeds. Verse 47. The Zabaniya will be told, Seize, read as, and Seize him and drag him bodily, roughly and harshly, into the middle of the blazing fire. In verse 47, the statement of the author, the Zabaniya, 
Zabaniya means the angels of punishment. In Arabic, it means the angels of punishment. Zabaniyatul Adam. They are the angels that have been discharged with punishing those people of the fire. Then pour the punishment of boiling water on his head. He will be told, taste that punishment. You are the mighty one, the noble one. You claimed that you were mighty and noble, and you said, there is no one between the two mountains more mighty and noble than I am. In verse 49, Allah says, Which if you were just to read it as a translation, and this is the benefit of tafsir, and the benefit of even doing a tafsir like this, because if you were just to read the translation, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Taste that you are the mighty one, the noble one. It's almost as if they are being praised as being mighty and noble. The correct meaning is, as Al-Mahali Ta'ala mentions, that it is Allah refuting their claim that they were people of nobility and might. That now they are made to taste the punishment, even though in the dunya, they were people who used to claim might and nobility. And it is said that the statement that he mentions here at the end, there is no one between the two mountains more mighty and noble than I am, is a statement made by Abu Jahl. That he was told, when he, that he said, when he was told about the punishment, he said, how will Allah punish me? When there is no one between these two mountains, meaning the city of Mecca, that is more noble, no more mighty than I. And that is why Allah is referring to this. He claimed might and nobility. Allah says, taste this. This is the might and nobility that you have. <coughs> he will be told, this punishment which you see is the very thing you used to doubt. The people who are God-fearing will be in a secure place where they are safe from fear. Amid gardens and fountains. Wearing fine silk and rich brocade face to face with one another. They will not look at one another's backs because their couches are arranged in a circle. So it will be. That is how the matter will be. We will marry them to dark-eyed maidens, beautiful women with large lustrous eyes. They will call there in the garden asking their servants for fruit of every kind, from it in complete security. They are safe from their provision ever being cut off and from any harm coming to them and from anything alarming. They will not taste any death there other than the first one. They will not die again after their death in this world. Some say that except illa here means ba'd, after. He will safeguard them from the punishment of blazing fire. A foreordained favor from your Lord. That is a great victory. We have made it, the Qur'an, easy on your own tongue, in your own language, so that the Arabs will understand it from you, so that perhaps they may pay heed and believe in you. Those Arabs did not, however, believe. So watch and wait for their destruction. They too are waiting for your destruction. This was before the revelation of the command to fight them. Surah Al-Jathiyah, kneeling. This surah is Meccan except for Ayah 13, which is Medinan. It has 36 or 37 Ayah. So this is the 45th surah of the Qur'an and it is Surah Al-Jathiyah. And the word Jathiyah will come later on in the surah. And Al-Jathu 
from which the word comes is to fall down upon your knees. And it was after that that Allah described the situation of people on the Day of Judgment that the surah is named. It is a Makki surah in the opinion of the majority of the scholars and the exception that is made here, it is said that Qatada rahimahullah and some of the scholars made that exception. But the majority say that it is a Makki surah and it is 37 verses in our reading of the Mus'haf. And from the names of this surah is Hameen al-Jathiyah. Hameen al-Jathiyah that is known by, as mentioned by Al-Bukhari and Al-Hakim and Al-Mustadraq. And from the names of this surah that is also mentioned is Sharia, Surah Al-Shari'a. Because Allah Azza wa will mention that also within the, within the surah. And that is also mentioned in some of the early books of tafsir, like the tafsir of Abdul Razzaq. That used to be called tafsir or surah Sharia. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Hameen. Allah knows best what is meant by this. Tanzeelul Kitabi min Allahil Azizil Hakim. The revelation of the book, the Qur'an, is from Allah, the Almighty, His Kingdom, the All-Wise, and what He does. In the creation of the heavens and earth, there are certainly signs for the believers, which indicate the power and unity of Allah. And in your creation, the creation of each of you from a sperm drop, then a clot, then a piece of flesh until you emerge as a human being. And all the creatures, animals and people, he has spread about on the surface of the earth. There are signs for people with certainty about the resurrection. وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ وَمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مِنْ رِزْقٍ فَأَحْيَا بِهِ الْأَرْضَ بَعْدَ مَوْتِهَا And in the alternation of night and day, the coming and going and the provision, meaning here rain, which is a means by which provision, provision comes to people. Allah sends down from the sky, bringing the earth to life by it after it has died. And the varying direction of the winds, sometimes south, sometimes north, sometimes cold and sometimes dry. There are signs for people who use their intellect, who understand the evidence and come to believe. In these opening verses, Imam Ibn Kathir Ta'ala says that Allah wants us to benefit two things. Number one is to think and reflect about the signs of Allah and His creation in the universe. And number two, to acknowledge then the might and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in what He has created. In verse number five, Allah says, وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ And in the alternation of the day and night, meaning the coming and going of the day and night, which is one tafsir. And the other tafsir that some of them said is that the difference or the alternation of the day and night is in the length of the day and night, meaning that you have days that are long and then short, and nights that are long and then short. وَتَصْرِيفِ الْرِيَاحِ When Allah says, and the wind coming in different directions, and Imam al-Tabir and the majority of the scholars of tafsir hold the opinion of what Al-Mahalli said here, that it refers to the different types of wind, strong wind, and wind that is not so strong, and wind that comes from different directions. Those signs mentioned are Allah's signs that indicate His unity, which we recite to you with truth. In what discourse, then, after the speech of Allah, meaning the Qur'an, and his signs, meaning evidence of his unity, will they believe? Read as yu'minun and also tu'minun, will you believe in? This means that they do not believe. Wainun li kulli Woe, meaning punishment to every wicked, 
full of wrong actions, liar. In verse number 7, Allah says, Woe to every wicked liar who is an evil doer. The word affaq is evilness in words, athim, evil in actions. So the translation is not complete. Every wicked liar, that is the translation of only the first part. And that is affaq. Athim is then one who is an evil doer in actions as well. And so Allah Azza wa says, Woe to those, to every wicked liar who is evil indeed as well. And that is the difference between the two. One is word and one is action. يَسْمَعُ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ يُصِرُّ مُسْتَكْبِرًا كَأَنْ لَمْ يَسْمَعْهَا Who hears the signs of Allah, meaning the Qur'an, recited to him, and then persists in his arrogance, in his unbelief, too proud to believe, as if he had never heard them. فَبَشِّرْهُ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ Give him the news of painful punishment. وَإِذَا عَلِمَ مِنْ آيَاتِنَا شَيْئًا اتَّخَذَهَا هُزُوًا when he does learn something of our signs, meaning the Qur'an, he makes a mockery of them. Such people, meaning those liars, will have a humiliating punishment. How is right at their heels? Right in front of them because they are, they are in this world. Nothing they have earned in terms of wealth and actions will be of any use to them. Nor will those idols they took as protectors besides Allah. They will have a terrible punishment. In verse number 10 when Allah says, جهنم, The literal meaning is that hell is behind them, right at their heels. But the actual meaning and what is intended is what the author says. And that is, the hellfire is ahead of them. The literal meaning is that it is behind them, but that is not the meaning of the verse. The meaning of the verse is that hell is in front of you, as mentioned by Ibn Kathir, and Al-Tabari, and Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin, rahimahumullah ta'ala. And similar to it is what we mentioned, I think, from what I recall in Surah Al-Kahf, in the story of Musa al-Khadr, the people of the ship, they say, وَكَانَ وَرَاءَهُمْ مَلِكٌ The literal meaning is that behind you is the king, meaning that will come and take your ship. But the actual meaning is that he is ahead of you. And in Arabic, often, one direction is used and the other one is intended. So meaning that these people of the ship in Surah Al-Kahf would come across the king ahead of them. That is why Khadr Islam did what he did. The same meaning here, how if I doesn't chase them, it's not behind them, it is ahead of them. They will be presented before it or it is ahead of them in terms of the next world. And Allah knows best. This Quran is guidance, away from his guidance. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ مِنْ رِجِزٍ أَلِيمٌ And those who reject the signs of their Lord will have a punishment of agonizing pain. اللَّهُ الَّذِي سَخَّرَ لَكُمُ الْبَحْرَ لِتَجْرِيَ الْفُلْكُ فِيهِ بِأَمْرِهِ وَلِتَبْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِهِ وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ It is Allah who has made the sea subservient to you, so that the ship sail on it at his command, meaning permission, enabling you to seek his bounty by trading so that perhaps you may be thankful. And he has made everything in the heavens, the sun and moon and stars and water and other things, and everything on the earth, animals, trees, plants, rivers and other things subservient to you. He created all of that for your benefit. It is all from him. The word all is used for emphasis. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ 
There are certainly signs in that for people who reflect and believe. قُلْ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا يَغْفِرُوا لِلَّذِينَ لَا يَرْجُونَ أَيَّامَ اللَّهِ Tell those who believe that they should forgive those who feel no fear. The word يَرْجُونَ which normally means hope, here means fear. About the days of Allah, the momentous events He causes to occur. The meaning being, forgive the unbelievers for the harm they have done to you. This was before the command to fight them in jihad. لِيَجَزِيَ قَوْمًا بِمَا كَانُوا يَكْسِبُونَ When he will repay, read as يَجَزِيَ and also نَجَزِيَ We will repay people according to what they earned. In other words, we reward them for, give, for forgiving the harm done to them by the unbelievers. In verse 14 is another example of how the literal meaning is different from the actual meaning. And Allah Azza wa says لَا يَرُجُونَ أَيَّامَ اللَّهِ They those who fear or feel no fear about the days of Allah. The meaning is not days of Allah. Ayyam here doesn't mean days. Nor does it make any sense about what is the days of Allah. The meaning is, as the author mentions in his tafsir, it means the momentous events that he causes to occur. As is the tafsir of At-Tabari rahimahullah and others. So that is the meaning of the word ayyam here. It means the events that occur that Allah Azza wa ordains. مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَلِنَفْسِهِ Whoever acts rightly, it is to his own good. وَمَنْ أَسَاءَ فَعَلَيْهَا Whoever does evil, it is to his detriment. ثُمَّ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكُمْ تُرْجَعُونَ Then you will be returned to your Lord, and he will repay both the good doer and the evil doer. وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحُكْمَ وَالنُّبُوَّةِ We gave the book, meaning the Torah, and judgment, by it between people. And prophethood, the tribe of Israel, Musa, Harun, and others. And provided them with good things, lawful things, like manna and quail. And favored them over all other people of their time. We made the commandments very dear to them. The commandments of the deen, defining the lawful and unlawful, and the sending of Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَمَا اخْتَلَفُوا إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْعِلْمُ بَغْيًا بَيْنَهُمْ And they only differed about his mission after knowledge came to them, tyrannizing one, one another out of envy about him. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ يَقْضِي بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فِي مَا كَانُوا فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ Your Lord will decide between them on the day of rising regarding the things they differed about. ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَاكَ عَلَىٰ شَرِيعَةٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْرِ فَاتَّبِعْهَا Then we placed you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, on the right road of our command, meaning the deen of Islam, so follow it. وَلَا تَتَّبِعْ أَهْوَاءَ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Do not follow the whims and desires of those who do not know. In other words, do not worship anything other than Allah. In verse 18, ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَاكَ عَلَىٰ شَرِيعَةٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْرِ Then we placed you, on our Sharia, it is not the meaning of Sharia is not the command, and so I think that is a incorrect translation. The meaning of Sharia is our religion, our way, our path. That is the meaning of of Sharia. <laughs> they will not help or defend you in any way against the punishment of Allah. The wrongdoers, meaning the unbelievers, are protectors of one another. For Allah is a protector of those who are God-fearing. <coughs> this 
Quran is clear insight for mankind, a medium by which one can discern the rulings and limits, and guidance and mercy for people with certainty about the resurrection. أَمْ حَسِبَ الَّذِينَ اجْتَرَحُوا السَّيِّئَاتِ أَنْ نَجْعَلَهُمْ كَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ سَوَاءً مَحْيَاهُمْ وَمَمَاتُهُمْ Or do those who perpetrate evil deeds of unbelief and disobedience suppose that we will make them like those who believe and do right actions so that their lives and deaths will be the same? They imagine that we will give them good in the next world as we will the believers in the form of a life comparable to the one they had in this world. As when they told the believers, if we are resurrected, we will be given the same good things which we have been given in this world. Allah denies this by saying, How bad their judgment is. That is not how it will be in the next world. In the next world, they will suffer punishment contrary to their experience during their life in this world. While the believers will have a reward in the next world for doing righteous actions in this world in the form of prayer, zakat, fasting and other things. وَخَلَقَ اللَّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ بِالْحَقِّ Allah created the heavens and earth with truth to provide evidence of His power and unity. وَلِتُجْزَى كُلُّ نَفْسٍ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ وَهُمْ لَا يُظْلَمُونَ So that every self might be repaid for what it earned for its acts of disobedience and obedience, showing that unbelievers and believers are not the same, and they will not be wronged. <coughs> أَفَرَأَيْتَ مَنِ اتَّخَذَ إِلَاهَهُ هَوَاهُ وَأَضَلَّهُ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ عِلْمِ Tell me, have you seen him who takes his whims and desires to be his God, and whom Allah has misguided knowingly, knowing that he would be one of the misguided before he created him? وَخَتَمَ عَلَىٰ سَمْعِهِ وَقَلْبِهِ Sealing up his hearing and his heart, so that he is unable to hear guidance and does not understand it. وَجَعَلَ عَلَىٰ بَصَرِهِ غِشَاوَةً And placing a blindfold over his eyes, so that he is unable to recognize guidance. Here there is an illusion which implies, do you think he will be guided? Who then will guide him after Allah has misguided him? He will not be guided. So, will you not pay heed and be warned? Allah in verse 23 says, أَفَرَأَيْتَ مِنِ اتَّخَذَ إِلَاهَهُ هَوَاهُ وَأَضَلَّهُ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ عِلْمُ have you not seen the one who takes his whims and desires to be his own God and whom Allah has misguided knowingly? The scholars of tafsir such as Al-Tabari and Ibn Al-Qayyim say knowingly meaning that Allah knows that he doesn't deserve to be guided. That is the knowledge of Allah Azza wa that he is not deserving of guidance and so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala misguides him. Or the other meaning that, one that is chosen by Ibn Kathir ta'ala is that Allah misguides him because of the knowledge that came to him and that he rejected. Meaning that the proof was established on him Knowingly, but that knowledge didn't benefit him, and so Allah Azza wa misguides him because he rejected the evidence. <coughs> they, meaning those who deny the resurrection, say, There is nothing but, but our existence in this world. We die and we live, and continue by producing children, and nothing destroys us except the passage of time. Allah says, وَمَا لَهُمْ بِذَٰلِكَ مِنْ عِلْمٍ إِنْهُمْ إِلَّا يَظُنُّونَ They have no knowledge of that. They are only conjecturing. And this is mentioned in the hadith of Abu Hurair radiallahu an that the people of Jahiliyyah used to say this life is just life and death and nothing will destroy us except the passage of time. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the hadith al-Qudsi that the child of Adam curses me and that is not befitting of him when he curses time. And indeed I am time and I am the one who controls time. And I change and I alternate the day and the night. So even the passage of time is from the command of Allah Azza wa Jal. 
So saying that this time that takes us is not the case because Allah is the one who controls time subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَإِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُنَا بَيِّنَاتٍ مَّا كَانَ حُجَّتَهُمْ إِلَّا أَن قَالُوا بِآبَائِنَا إِن كُنتُمْ صَادِقِينَ When our clear signs, the verses of the Qur'an which indicate our power to resurrect, are recited to them, the only argument is to say, bring us our fathers alive, if you're telling the truth about us being resurrected. قُلِ اللَّهُ يُحْيِيكُمْ ثُمَّ يُمِيتُكُمْ ثُمَّ يَجْمَعُكُمْ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Say, Allah gives you life when you have been sperm, then causes you to die, and then will gather you together alive for the day of rising, about which there is no doubt, but most people do not know it. وَلِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ The kingdom of the heavens and earth belongs to Allah. وَيَوْمَ تَقُومُ السَّاعَةُ يَوْمَئِذٍ And on the day when that the hour arrives, that day the liars, meaning unbelievers, will be lost. Their loss will be clear because they will go to the fire. وَتَرَى كُلَّ أُمَّةٍ جَاتِيَةٍ You will see every nation, the people of every religion, on its knees, herded together. كُلُّ أُمَّةٍ تُدْعَى إِلَى كِتَابِهَا Every nation summoned to its book. The book of their actions. We will be told, Today you will be repaid for what you did. In verse 28, Allah says, On that day you will see every nation upon its knees. And it is after this word, Jathiyah, that the surah is named. The author has chosen in his tafsir that the meaning of being on their knees is that the different nations are herded together and separated from other nations. And that is the minority opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir. The majority of the scholars of tafsir say that they will be on their knees because of the fear and the terror of that day. That they will collapse upon their knees not because they are being herded together but because of the fear of Yom Al-Qiyam and the terror that they will see on that day. That the people in humiliation, in, in submission and humbleness before Allah Azza will be on their knees. And that is because of the gravity and severity of Yom Al-Qiyamah. May Allah Azza wa Jal keep us safe on that day. This is our book, the register kept by the guardian angels, speaking against you with the truth. We have been recording and preserving everything you did. فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فَيُدْخِنُهُمْ رَبُّهُمْ فِي رَحْمَتِهِ As for those who believed and did right actions, the Lord will admit them into His mercy, meaning His garden. ذَلِكَ هُوَ الْفَوْزُ الْمُبِينَ That is a clear victory. وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا أَفَلَمْ تَكُنْ آيَاتِي تُتْلَى عَلَيْكُمْ But as for those who disbelieved, they will be told, Were my signs, meaning the Qur'an, not recited to you? فَاسْتَكْبَرْتُمْ وَكُنْتُمْ قَوْمًا مُجْرِمِينَ And yet you proved arrogant. You were a people of evildoers, meaning unbelievers. وَإِذَا قِيلَ إِنَّ وَعْدَ اللَّهِ حَقٌّ وَالسَّاعَةُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهَا قُلْتُمْ مَا نَدْرِينَ السَّاعَةُ When you, unbelievers, were told, Allah's promise of the resurrection is true, and so is the hour. But as, السَّاعَةُ and السَّاعَةَ, of which there is no doubt. You said we have no idea what the hour is. إِنَّ ظُنُّ إِلَّا ظَنَّ وَمَا نَحْنُ بِمُسْتَيْقِنِينَ 
we have only been conjecturing. We are by no means certain that it will come. The recompense for the evil deeds they did in this world will appear before them in the next world. And the punishment for the things they mocked, that will engulf them. They will be told, today we have forgotten you and will leave you in the fire as you forgot the meeting of this day and fail to act for it. Your refuge is the fire and you have no helpers to defend you from the fire. That is because you made a mockery of Allah's signs, meaning the Quran, and the life of this world deluded you, so that you said that there was no resurrection and no reckoning. Therefore, today they will not get out, read as يُخْرَجُونَ and يَخْرُجُونَ of it, meaning the fire. They will not be able to appease Allah, to please their Lord by repentance and obedience, because that will be of no benefit on that day. All praise belongs to Allah, because He, he will fulfill His promise about the deniers, the Lord of the heavens and the Lord of the earth, Lord of all the worlds. He created the heavens and the earth and all the worlds. Adam, world, world is all that is, in, that is other than Allah. It is in the plural because of the variety of species in existence. All greatness belongs to him in the heavens and earth. He is the Almighty, the All-Wise. And with that we come to the end of Surah Al-Jathiyah and the end of the 25th Juz of the Quran and therefore the end of today's session. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.